0: Hey, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to The Astrology Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be looking at the astrological forecast for October of 2023. Joining me today are astrologers Austin Kopic and Nicholas Polobinakis. Hey, welcome both of you. Hey. Hello, Chris. Welcome. Uh, so We're going to do a whole deep dive into the astrology of October in this episode first, we're going to spend the first hour doing some review and talking about news stories that have happened over the past month and what the astrological correlates have been since our last forecast uh, a month ago. And then in the second hour, we're going to jump into a deep dive um, of the astrology of October. Um, So, First, I'm going to start by giving just a quick little preview of the astrology of October using our planetary alignments calendar, and then we'll get into looking at the news stories from the past month. As always, you can jump ahead if you want to go straight to the forecast by looking at the timestamps either in the description below this YouTube video or on the podcast website in the entry for this episode. So let's go ahead and get right into it. So here's the planetary alignments calendar for October. Um, so we start off at the beginning of the month with Mercury finally departing from Virgo, where it's been retrograde for the past while here, transiting through that sign. And on October 4th, Mercury. Ingresses into the sign of Libra. Then the following week, we get Venus finally departing from having an entire summer in the sign of Leo, where Venus went retrograde, and Venus finally departs and moves into the sign of Virgo for the next month. The same day, there's a Mars Pluto square, which happens on October 8th. And then two days later, Pluto actually stations direct at 27 degrees of Capricorn. And then it will begin a run through the rest of that sign until it gets into Aquarius early next year. Two days later on October 12th, Mars moves into the sign of Scorpio. Then two days later on the 14th, we have our first lunation of the month, which is actually a solar eclipse in the sign of Libra. So we've entered eclipse season here, and that's one of the main things we'll be talking about in the astrology of October. About a week later, we get a Sun-Mercury conjunction or a Mercury-Kazimi on October 20th. Then Mercury moves into Scorpio on the 22nd, the Sun into Scorpio on the 23rd, and then we get our second lunation of the month, which is a lunar eclipse in the sign of Taurus on October 28th. So that's just a quick preview of some of the astrology we're going to be talking about later in this episode. Um, But first, let's uh, welcome our guest co-host and then talk about the news. So Nicholas, welcome back. The last time you were on was... For the gemini episode that we did with camille last year i think right
1: yes yes it was the gemini episode which started off a chain of events for me
0: okay um
1: you wouldn't believe how many gemini's and gemini risings have approached me online and in person um which is sort of a interesting almost not a comical farce because i'm a gemini with all the gemini but to having this gemini energy reflected back to me in all these other ways like i've never had in my life
0: (laughs) right you become like the gemini whisperer
1: in a sense yes which is um yeah scares me uh uh but yeah through the whispers beautiful things have happened so yeah that was the last time uh when i was on the show uh, here was uh in june yeah
0: yeah well and since then you've been killing it with your youtube channel and doing live streams and stuff that's been very inspiring for me and i've tried to follow your lead to start doing some live streams recently as well. Um, So you're the Gemini whisperer, Austin, if Nicholas is the Gemini whisperer, I believe you're the Pisces whisperer at this point, because in the past month, even though Pisces always comes last at the end of the Zodiac signs, and we did the Pisces episode together last, just back in March, mm-hmm. somehow uh, that episode has totally blown away all the other episodes and has just reached like 200,000 views recently, beating out um, Rick Levine and the Aries episode recently, which I know you're you're very happy about.
2: <laughs>
0: it, it confirms my suspicions. that That Pisces is the best
2: sign? Yeah, it's rude to say it. You know okay um, yeah you didn't want I to mean, me like numbers exactly like themselves that. like <laughs> most pisces know better than to rub that in everyone's face
0: um which is you know part of why we maintain the top spot all right it, well i think things are still moving things are still developing so if people want to help offset that a little bit <laughs> i'm not i'm not telling anybody to do anything but if you want to watch the scorpio episode i think that was also a very <laughs> good episode i'm not you know with sam and kira um so we'll see we'll we'll see how things go yeah, All and right. if you'd like to keep the Pisces supremacy going,
1: you
2: know, just no, just no. give it give it another watch. You know, Chris you, and I you have never a great time. hear
1: those two words in the sense. Yeah, I was going to say Pisces like, supremacy. It's famous. just like I I like this for the sole reason it was competing against Rick. So if Rick, you're watching out there, we know Rick has got the Aries in him. He's got that thing in him. So we got this game going on, and Pisces is winning, Rick.
0: So. Yeah, Rick, uh I think he can still come back cuz he was doing well. He has uh, 140,000 <laughs> views. We'll see st- we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I mean those areas sure are plucky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um all right, cool. So we've got a bunch of news and things I wanted to talk about in this episode. Um, A lot of it more celebrity and birth data oriented, especially because we just had that Mercury retrograde in Virgo. And there was actually a couple of really interesting pieces of birth data that came out as a result of that, that I wanted to talk about. So the first one is um, that the singer uh, Dua Lipa, she, I think she was like visiting her home or something like that, but basically right at the beginning of the Mercury retrograde in Virgo. On August 31st, she posted on Instagram, yesterday I found out that I'm actually a Gemini rising, somebody please unpack that for me, Uh, because she previously for the past few years thought that she was actually a Libra rising. So switching to Gemini rising and finding out that her birth time that she'd been using and, and consulting with astrologers with had been wrong, uh, so that was kind of a big thing and it was a really interesting example because of what her new chart ended up actually looking like. So let me go ahead and share that right now. So I'm experimenting with a new setup today and we're going to be using Astro Gold today, um, which I'll probably do a plug for later in the episode. But here's the new birth chart for Dua Lipa that has, she was now born evidently at 12:18 a.m on August 22nd, 1995, giving her Gemini rising. And so Mercury is the ruler of the Ascendant and interestingly, it's placed at 19 degrees of Virgo. So this is important because Mercury actually stationed retrograde around those degrees um, over the past month. And when she discovered that her birth time was wrong, Mercury was at about 19 and 18 degrees of Virgo retrograde conjunct the ruler of her ascendant. So this is a really interesting example because the first house is supposed to represent the self and your sense of selfhood, how you present the world, but also how you understand yourself. And she had a Mercury retrograde connected with the ruler of her ascendant. And she actually had to revise her sense of self, but also in doing so, like found out something deeper about like who she actually is, which I thought was really fascinating.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean that you, you couldn't ask for a more a more literal transit. You know, with Mercury, Mercury retrogrades are often about correcting bad information. And so with this being a return where it's Mercury in the same place as she as it was when she was born, correcting her idea, correcting the data around her emergence into the world. But also add, it's interesting that this Mercury retrograde that we experienced last month was also opposite Saturn and Pisces which is the situation that Duleba has natally where she has um, Mercury in Virgo opposite Saturn and Pisces. So this is, uh, it, it's interesting. It almost suggests now that she's begun her Saturn return that like correct information around selfhood will not be obtained until um, the Saturn return or the Saturn years, right? Saturn delays things.
0: Yeah, totally. And, do you have something, Nicholas?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's interesting, too, you said, Austin, awesome too. There's Not only do we have this revelation for her and then what you brought in with the Saturn and Pisces, but just a stationary degree point there for her sun and Venus, along with the Venus retrograde um that along with this kind of revelation along with the saturn return all points to a very interesting thing that kind of normally happens in our saturn returns is this questioning of our identity of what the past is what we bring from the past with us to the future the end of act one the beginning of act two you know this kind of thing that deals with at the core of who we are and where we come from right so you know we have several factors to me that point to that um the other thing when i was looking at this chart and into the past because you've written some things here on, on our notes chris about her past about when she moved when she went back home to kosovo when she was 11. uh and then when she was 15 she she moved back to london by herself and she had made major, major saturn transits going on when she was 11 that went over her her IC, went over her sun and Venus eventually. And then when Saturn went into Virgo, pretty much towards the tail end of that transit is when she moved back, when she moved to London. And it was around that time, I, I think I was looking, it was like September of 2009, where Saturn in Virgo was there retrograde along with Mercury in Virgo retrograde. So I I found this interesting about what the past is here. And what fills in what supposedly the past is right and mm. and an, an example of we have a reoccurring transit right now about like what the real facts are and so on and so forth right for herself like her past and her, her in a sense where she comes from right? mm. for sure
0: yeah so, that's so important for anybody that has like the ruler of the ascendant in the fourth house like themes of your family your ancestry your origins your parents is really important and she was born in 1995 um and her parents were like refugees from Kosovo and they ended up emigrating to London and so this is interesting cuz she kind of grew up then with this almost like dual heritage with like um one foot in her sort of albanian family's background and then one foot like growing up in the uk and that's one of the things that's fascinating about this as a chart example is mutable signs in ancient astrology were always said to give two of whatever they signify, to signify two things or sometimes two things at once. And that's true of all of the mutable signs, but especially for Gemini and Virgo, um, that's especially true. And so she has that. And I think just in the past few years, Was given um, partially due to her success as as a singer. Was given as well as her advocacy for Albanian like causes. She was given dual Albanian citizenship in addition to her UK citizenship. Um, So I thought that was really fascinating in terms of how that matches the ruler of the ascendant placement that becomes so much clearer once her correct birth time is known. Um, And then Nicholas, you mentioned the Sun Venus conjunction at twenty eight Leo, which is like so. Prominent there in her chart, and, and especially for us thinking about the astrology of this summer, because of course, Venus stationed retrograde right there at like 29 degrees, 28, 29 degrees of Leo. And of course, within a day of Venus stationing there, that's when the Barbie movie came out. And Dua Lipa had a big song like right at the very beginning of the movie. And she actually even appeared and did a cameo in the movie as like Mermaid Barbie. So that was right when Venus stationed there. On top of that, and I went back and looked at her chronology, and it showed up very prominently that back in 2015, in the summer of 2015, she released her first single once she was signed to a major album. So we could see how the Venus retrograde was connected in the sense that like, she really got her career start under that Venus retrograde in Leo way back in 2015. And then eight years later, you get this sort of like check-in, you hit a new height, but then you also like sort of look back and see how far you've come. So interesting yeah. Venus retrograde and Mercury retrograde stuff in the same chart. And yeah. um, and so that brings us to there was another major piece of celebrity birth data that came up this month, which was on September 12th, I believe, which was towards the end of the Mercury retrograde. Mercury stations direct in Virgo around eight degrees of Virgo. And there was this new biography, a new major biography by a a very prominent biographer um, was dropped. And it was a biography on Elon Musk. And this was a major sort of like a media thing because um, Walter Isaacson, the guy that wrote the biography, had also written a biography on like Steve Jobs and on Albert Einstein and these were like pretty big biographies when they came out at the time, so this was kind of a big deal. But what's interesting and relevant for our purposes as astrologers is that at the beginning of chapter two, um, Walter Isaacson records a birth time and he says that Elon Musk was born at 7.30 AM or 7.30 in the morning, which now we didn't have a birth time for Elon Musk and now all of a sudden we do and it gives um, a chart with cancer rising. So let me share that chart and show you what it looks like. All right, here we go. So it's a rounded time, obviously 7.30 AM. It may have been rounded to the nearest quarter of an hour. We don't really know, but luckily that gives us pretty solidly about 13 degrees of cancer rising. So it's pretty solidly and reliably going to be cancer rising no matter what. Um, It was a little bit after sunrise, but it's probably far enough after sunrise with his sun at five degrees of Cancer that it was probably pretty solidly a day chart. So the sect of the chart is also pretty reliable. Um, For the audio listeners, just to give you an idea of some of the highlights, uh, Mercury is at 14 degrees of Cancer conjunct the Ascendant. The ruler of the Ascendant is the Moon, which is at eight degrees of Virgo in the third whole sign house and that Moon in Virgo is actually in a mutual reception with Mercury because Mercury's in the Moon's sign and the Moon is in Mercury's sign and the Moon's actually applying to a sextile with Mercury, which creates a pretty strong reception uh, between them and a sort of temporary dignity. I thought that placement was one of the most interesting things about his chart because you know he's somebody that has the ruler of the ascendant in the third house the place of short distance travel and of course he's like almost not single-handedly but in terms of individuals he's one of the most influential individuals in starting to push the US and the world towards the adoption of electric cars basically and and definitely like accelerating the whole time frame in which that's taking place and he has the ruler of the ascendant in the third house which is pretty literal i think right
2: Yeah, definitely. And if you look at the other projects like Starlink, right, like that's a third house thing, right? You know, uh, having internet around the house, like having internet as you travel, um, like, and even PayPal, like um,
0: communications.
2: yeah, well, it just you know, third house is full of all, all of your your regular stuff, all the places you regularly go, um, you know the um, the bank you would regularly go to, except it was pay except it's PayPal, right? The internet you get on to look at your regular websites, also third house, and so yeah, that um, that mutual reception between Mercury in the first and the Moon in the
0: third is uh, extremely clear, for sure so um other features of the chart that are interesting he has Jupiter in the fifth whole sign house um in a day chart which I thought was actually really interesting because he famously like a few years ago he was, there was making he was making headlines because he has 11 uh, children um, but not just that he has a lot of children but he actually was making headlines saying something about due to population decline or something like that that he thinks that like everybody should have a lot of children and that it will lead to some sort of major like worldwide disaster if people don't start having more children. So I thought that was kind of interesting just as like a factoid I sort of knew about his life from those headlines and then he has Jupiter in the fifth house.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's right there, right? Jupiter in the, in the, in the fifth in a day chart, you know, giveth, uh, giveth many sons and daughters. I'm sure we can find five different 2000 year old texts that would uh, that would explain it to us.
1: He's yeah. out he's outwardly saying it too, you know what I mean? He's he's just like saying out loud that I have to breed as much as possible, uh, for more in a sense, futuristic reasons. Uh
2: I but, mean the population decline in a lot of countries is about to be an issue like within a few years, right? Like that's not completely fanciful. Um Maybe repopulating the Earth as uh, one man on a mission uh, is a little bit a little <laughs> bit more fantastical. Right.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. I found the quote. It said something like, "Quote: If people don't have more children, civilization is going to crumble. Mark my words. One of the biggest risks to civilization is the low birth rate. So I don't know. So we don't have to get in <laughs> the, the you know policy debates about that. But um, other interesting things, of course, are um you know his mars his most difficult planet in his chart because he was born with a day chart probably after sunrise is going to be that mars in the 8th house and the 8th house has to do with like shared resources other people's money taxes sometimes the accumulation of of wealth to some extent like we see sometimes billionaires um with a lot of 8th house placements and having his most difficult planet in that placement is kind of interesting and it makes me think of like twitter for example where he sort of ended up paying so much for twitter to buy it basically over the past year but then over the past year it's just like valuation has just plummeted where it was already usually not thought to be worth as much as he paid for it in the beginning but then the sort of value of it has shrunk over the past year for different different reasons due to advertisers fleeing or what have you and it sort of made me think of that when i saw that placement
1: yeah you know i if you look at the degrees of his of his nodes and the mars you also have a major jupiter transit that's happening that's affecting his mars you know and, and his resource houses in the sense outside of him and the ones he you know creates himself uh there is definitely a loss of money i mean he had to take off collateral off his own stuff to do the deal for twitter mm. and as of right now it's not the valuation has gone down um it, so you know, i i I in particular don't see it coming back up per se, especially because of what we know what's coming in the spring with Jupiter Uranus uh, exact conjunction that's going to happen. But um, there's that. But there's something else here that I want to point out, and because I'm a Chiron user, right? So okay, and I know this. He's got Chiron at thirteen degrees in Aries, and obviously he's, ha- yeah, he's obviously has this Chiron return happening right now. And natally, we see his Mercury, which is so huge in his chart, a square to Chiron. And, you know, along with the transits that we're going to be talking about this month, the eclipses, uh, the Chiron return, the eclipses next year, there is a thing with Elon natally where his image, what he's the authority on, the stage that he stands upon, he's got a wound there. It doesn't matter how much money he's worth or whatever. He's carrying something that 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 is huge when it comes to his image and how he is seen. And I think a lot of the reactions you see with him mercurially, whether he's doing the X tweets or whatever, he's got to constantly stay in the uh, in the forefront of things. Is because I think he's sort of butt hurt about it all the time. And you know, and I think this is really prominent right now because of what's happening. If if also to would we'll take this into account. If this time is pretty much dialed in, we also know that the eclipse that happened, New Moon Aries eclipse that happened in April, was pretty much on his on his midheaven. Um, mm-hmm. so okay. there true. is
2: definitely something right. going on right now, as we see with him and the sensitivity to this. Well, and the the time that's passed since that eclipse has not improved his public reputation, nope. which we would expect if that is where his midheaven is. I wanted okay. to go. <clears throat> jump back to Mars and Rahu in the eighth for just a second. So, you know, eighth, um, as Chris said, you know, other people's resources, et cetera, et cetera. For, you know, somebody who's a uh, venture capitalist and starts companies, that's investors, right? And um, Elon has uh, had for a very long time a habit of scaring investors and the um, the valuations of his companies being uh, being very up and down. Um, mm-hmm. you know th- there was no for example there was no uh, certainty that spacex would be even vaguely successful um there's a lot of worries about that there've been um you know other been different incidents where he would do an interview um and everyone would be like oh we can't this person is too erratic they're are uh, they are too impulsive right mars in the north node ruling the midheaven um we can't trust this person with our money so we see that like people um uh, people being uncertain about whether to uh, keep their money invested in his companies, as a, a long time pattern,
0: for sure. And that being sort of greatest area of weakness. With that being the more challenging placement in his chart in the eighth house. You mentioned the erraticness, which actually brings up you know his his son and Mercury are pretty closely square Uranus, and I think that's where a lot mm-hmm. of the erraticness in his communication style comes from. Um, which is interesting, uh, and one of the things I immediately, because you know he's the richest person in the world at the present time. One of the things I initially found interesting is it like the chart didn't scream good money stuff, like financial stuff for me, at least as part of the main focus. The main focus of the chart is like that communications house or that short distance travel house, the the children, the eighth house, and other stuff like that. Um, even the twelfth house, and, and which is associated with sometimes like enemies or self undoing, has a couple planets in it. But one of the things I found interesting that fits actually something that Vadius Valens talks about a lot, the second century astrologer, is he says look for the place of the lot of fortune, which in his chart is in Virgo, and then he says look at the eleventh house relative to the sign of the lot of fortune. And he he calls that the place of acquisition, and he says when it's well situated in the chart, it indicates major financial resources and financial windfalls for the person. It's basically his thing. He emphasizes over and over again in books two and three of the anthology as his main um, financial wealth indicator. And in fact, with the lot of fortune in Virgo, the ruler of that is Mercury, which is in the eleventh house relative to the lot of fortune. And it's in that mutual reception with the moon, which is in the ruler of the 11th house from fortune, which is placed on the sign of the lot of fortune itself in that strong mutual reception. So I think that's where some of the sort of powerful financial stuff is coming from in his chart is the position of fortune and its relation to the 11th house from fortune. Yeah, that's huge.
2: Um, I've worked with those techniques and a lot of times they will um like they do with this one it'll give you an entirely different perspective on how money works for a person's chart mm-hmm. um sometimes you have something that might even look like a pain in the ass um and might be a pain in the ass in several regards but it ends up being uh ends up being a, a key to being uh financially successful or stable for people um and then In Elon's case, when it reaffirms and further empowers something that already looked pretty good in the chart, um, you know, uh, you know, you know where to look for the money.
0: For sure, for sure. So anyway, so I'm sure we'll come back to this chart a lot of times in the future. Some of what you said, Nicholas, actually makes a lot of sense because in the biography it talks about him being like bullied, supposedly growing up or having. possible abuse issues with his father and different things, and that Chiron placement in the 10th house could make more sense, as well as how that's impacted his future orientation and sort of behavior with people in different ways. But I'm sure this is a chart that we'll be talking about for many years for better or worse in the future, and we'll we'll get into it more maybe later on. Yeah. Okay. So moving forward, um, other big news story recently is that the Writers Guild, which has been on strike since the Mercury retrograde at the beginning of May, which is a Mercury retrograde in Gemini, and the strike was called um, right around the time of the exact Kazemi when Mercury was retrograde and conjunct the Sun. Um, so we then had another Mercury retrograde in Virgo, And then after Mercury stationed direct and then came up in Trine-Jupiter around September 24th, there was an announcement that went out a few days ago that there was a tentative agreement that the Writers Guild had made with the studios to resolve the the strike supposedly eventually. So it looks like there might be a good resolution to that story here that again, ended up being timed very well with Mercury basically
2: yeah I, I i've been wondering the last month or so if the writer's strike would basically be over when mercury finally left virgo and similarly whether the actor's strike would be over um when venus left leo both of which happen in early october and when i checked on it last night the uh, uh the actors <clears throat> the actors guild is also um moving towards settlement and that's that's interesting with. Uh, With those two things, you know, one of the things we've noticed on a longer term level um, is and we've talked about for years is the Uranus and Taurus seems to have wanted to do um, union uh, collective bargaining union organization strike type stuff. Um, But we've really seen it this year, not only with the writers and actors, but also with the auto strike, the auto workers strike, and who knows what else. Um, And we really see uh, Jupiter in Taurus, right? It's been in Taurus since May, but Jupiter coming to assist Uranus and being like, yeah, let's do it right like you have an issue that's around and the the, it were astrology often also works this way in in one's personal life like there's something that's like there's something there's an issue you're thinking about it maybe we do this maybe we do that but then you have another planetary trigger jupiter comes in to to affirm and support and um provide a plan and so um, yeah, it's a big uh, in the what five months since uh, Jupiter joined Uranus in Taurus. Literally three historic strikes: uh, actors, writers, and now auto workers. And we've got another seven months of Jupiter in Taurus with Uranus. So um, you know we would we we expect this theme to continue.
0: Yeah, and I know Nicholas, you were really interested in the astrology of the auto workers strike that was recently called
1: yeah it's you know it's interesting the 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 day that it happened they they officially went on strike at at midnight uh it was the 14th it was the day that Merc the mercury station day right so right. you know it's like i'm like whoa this timing just from the mercury uh station perspective but i just i knew some stuff of history in the past with labor issues because of my own personal story and activism and stuff like that so i was like I had to dust a couple of covers off in of my brain, <laughs> and went to go look at, at the history. and And actually, Sean Fain, like the head and leader of the the United Auto Workers Union, put out a video earlier that week, and it was very ins- inspirational video to, to to for people to understand the plight of the auto workers. But he actually brought in in this video, and whoever produced it for them, the where the auto union. Uh, the workers come from in a sense and they showed old footage of the major strikes that happened and the end of 1936 and 37 in flint michigan at the at the gm plants and it's pretty much the start of a major labor movement that for decades came out of this situation and at the time uranus was in taurus saturn was in pisces you know, and at the time of the uh, at this was going on, Pluto was on the opposite end of where it is now in Cancer at 27 degrees. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and it it kind of blew my mind. But at the same time, as we know with astrology, it's very clear and very real about reoccurring transits and themes and stories that get carried over, especially here when we deal with the history of the United States and what labor means, who owns things, who does the means of production, so on and so forth. But but basically around that time it was december 30th 36 is when they started the strike and by the way I was when I was reading about this they the workers were secretly organizing so it wasn't a formal union there yet but they were going to wait till after christmas because they didn't want to rock the boat because they wanted to get the christmas bonuses okay, okay. some people noticed on the railway lines that the company was loading equipment to send to somewhere else they were getting ready, too. And because of that, they decided to strike then on the 30th. And mm. so they, they, they struck all the way until February 11th, 37. People can look up at the deeper history with this because the National Guard was involved in the state. The governor of Michigan had to summon the National Guard, but he didn't use the National Guard against the workers because he was pro-union. There was a lot of, of, of uh, intense bargaining and spying, all this kind of stuff, infiltration of union all that kind of stuff. In the end though, one, they won, and the collective bargaining started to happen there. And that was in 37 of February 11th. If we go back, I'm sorry, I'm going to do this, but we go back to 1935, there was something passed called the National Labor Relations Act that in a sense, set up a, a situation where workers can collectively get together and form a union, right? And that in a sense, kind of, Gave a little bit of the seeds into to the big labor strike that they called the sit down strike, so on and so forth. Here we are now. At, you know, this time we have Saturn in Pisces, Uranus in Taurus. We've got Pluto on the other side in Capricorn, and they decided to call this the the stand up strike instead of sit down. So you know, the the current labor union is considered militant from outside perspective, from a labor view, but they're just going back to the past of how things have started. And one more thing I'll say on this. They're not just, when you see their PR or you see even people on Instagram from the smaller unions talking about why they're doing this, it's not just for better pay, so on and so forth. They're all saying that they're representing the working class, not just workers, everybody else. And they're using history in the past to fuel this and to tell people this is not the end. And even if they get the contract that they want, that this isn't going to stop, that this should be taken further into other, you know, places of career so on and so forth. So I I think for me, it's huge. And to go back to what Austin said, we're not done with Uranus Jupiter. And we bring this in to a presidential election year. We just had Joe Biden the other day for whatever reasons, PR reasons, go and stand and speak to workers on the picket lines. The first time ever president's ever done that. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think here, this is a major moment uh, when it comes to class issues, worker issues, and it's not going away. I, I could see this being accelerated into spring, going off what Austin mentioned. So, yeah, yeah we're not even really at used. the
0: halfway point. I'm not, yeah. Of the Jupiter transit. Yeah,
2: Jupiter, the Jupiter-Uranus co-presence. Sure. Yeah, and, yeah, it would uh, be interesting. And
0: what it didn't perfect, like we talked about it a lot because it got mm-hmm. so close and then they stationed within, I think, six or eight degrees, but then next year we'll get an actual full conjunction.
2: Yeah, and another piece of context is um, for the last couple of years, Saturn was an Aquarius squaring Uranus. Um, that changed in March this year, um, but for all 21 and 22, Um, we had Saturn basically stepping on Uranus, right? We had, that was one of our characteristic tensions was the Saturn Aquarius trying to um, sort of keep things under control and Uranus trying to shake things up and make changes. And so not only the, not only, once we got to spring this year, did we get Jupiter boosting Uranus? Um, but we also got Saturn. We also um, had Saturn move to a position where it's no longer stepping on Uranus. So for those, uh, as we said, like delayed revolts, right? Yeah. Um, uh, this is uh, this is quite a year. And that you know that's what actually what happened
1: in 36, 37, because of them collecting and coming together they they spurred this union way of thinking through all different parts of the united states and when i was looking at the stats it was not too long after that they, There was like 3.5 million people in the 1930s that were in a sense you know part of a, a collective reunion and then by the time 1942 hit it was 10 million people so you know Am I saying that this is going to start something collectively with other people and workers and their rights and stuff? It possibly could if we're looking at the astrology of it. And if anybody out there who's watching this now, you know, later on, where you stand about workers' rights, pay, you know, is uh, the gap is wider and wider, you know, for the middle class has been disappearing, you know, you get to certain points, and history shows this, you know, where... You have no choice but to stand up sit down or take these decisive actions you know so for me when i look at this i think the class and worker issue will probably be one of the number one things here during the presidential campaign whoever's running who was at whatever that they have to connect on this issue there's no avoiding this one so mm-hmm. um
0: yeah 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 it'll de- definitely be interesting to see what happens and you looking back in the history of that is really striking and just reminds me this summer, we've seen over and over again just how much um, you have to go back and understand the past in order to predict the future. And that's such a core rule for predictive astrology. Um, yeah, that, that we've seen the the value of that. So you mentioning the that this started, that the auto workers um, strike started literally like the day that Mercury was stationing direct, um, reminded me, I forgot I forgot that this is actually a key point of the last example that tied Dua Lipa and Elon Musk together, is that Dua Lipa discovered her birth time was wrong when Mercury stationed retrograde on her ruler of the Ascendant. Whereas for Elon Musk, um, that biography came out on September 12th when Mercury was stationing direct at eight degrees of Virgo, and that's eight degrees of Virgo is where his Moon is, which is the ruler of his Ascendant. So we learned something very core there about the ruler of the Ascendant and stationary planets um, in that example. So let's move on though um, to other news stories. Another major one is at the begin- towards the beginning, the end of last month at late August and early September, one of the things we talked about was there was um, a full moon conjunct in full moon in Pisces that was conjunct Saturn that we talked about on the last forecast a lot, and that was right in the middle of the Mercury retrograde in Virgo, um, and there ended up being some pretty striking news stories during that time. Um, one of them that kept, kept coming up around that time was just like floods, where there were a lot of major floods in like Europe, there were major floods in North Africa, especially in Libya where um, this one flood happened and there was something like 15,000 people dead or missing and 34,000 people displaced. Um, so there's a lot of like major tragedies involving water at that time. There were also other ones that were in the news during that timeframe, like um, the, the Burning Man Festival, for example, there were very heavy, heavy rains and it got flooded, which left tens of thousands of people stuck or stranded. And I was looking that up, and one of the headlines called it a, a "quote-unquote" muddy fiasco, which I thought was just like a perfect um, symbolism and keywords for a full moon in Pisces conjunct Saturn and Mercury retrograde in Virgo. And I couldn't really—I I wanted to mention that because I couldn't think of a better, like, like example of that um, transit manifesting in such a very a literal way.
1: Yeah, I I thought it was interesting too, and you know, I, while we're recording this, we're in a Pisces moon, aren't we, right now? Uh, yeah, yeah, we are. <laughs> Not that hopefully nothing floods in your place or my place, Chris, right now. But I I thought it was interesting too, from a different kind of, I guess, Piscean perspective, as in the image, the image, the connection to what Burning Man, Burning Man is, and what it was, and what it's become. Mm. You know, and. There's, you know, a lot of opinions on this about what it's become. And I also saw some tweets and certain people who have not been too fond of Burning Man. who used to be and say it's lost its original uh, intentions that, in a sense, the floods have come through to wash those what is it things away, things that it shouldn't be, right? and and uh, that certain realities have come into play. I, I saw a lot of talk about this now, it all depends on one's that's the more different way of looking at it but from the actual physical manifestations um yeah i'm can't be surprised um but it would but like you said yeah. it wasn't just there but these other floods that happened in europe and, and in north africa uh it's just something we just take a look at it and acknowledge um but uh i don't know maybe austin you got something um well
2: i mean just with with burning like burning man being flooded that that is a pretty potent symbolic negation like it's supposed to be a a a a fire-based festival celebration ritual um and to have the heavens dump water on that you know it's like floods are a problem in lots of places for lots of reasons but they're not like um Uh, I should say, an on the nose symbolic um, negation in the same way. Yeah, they put out the fire. Yeah, it's like literally supposed to be burning. Yeah. (laughs) Hard to burn things when it's done to rain. Or like the
1: spirit, the spirit of the festival, right? Yeah. What it is, is, you know, again, there's different opinions on this, but, but it, you know, it's become an influencer based type of get together a lot of that's company a huge influx of cash coming out of the bay area from silicon valley in the last five six years even more when it was used to be it was started off in a certain way spirit of this ritual certain thing you know and uh, it, it, but yeah totally austin <laughs> the fire just the, the the water came through and well,
2: put it, out the it's fun. yeah well it's like if the olympic torch got put out by rain in the middle of the like in the middle of the ceremony it would be hard not to take that symbolically
0: yeah, and and it's important because we're still getting used to what Saturn and Pisces is like, and so that was really one of our first like full moon was that it actually was our first full moon in Pisces with Saturn there at the same time. So you know this transit's still going to be going on for the next two and a half years or so. So um, it's good to pay attention to some of those symbolic things as they're happening because we'll probably see echoes of that in different ways over the course of the next few years. Um, not to mention that, because obviously it wasn't just that, but also a Mercury retrograde in Virgo and just so many people got stuck and like couldn't get out or, or other things or got their cars stuck in the mud and just how plans sometimes go awry and that you have to kind of like roll with it sometimes during a Mercury retrograde is a good, good symbolism for that as well, I think.
1: Well, Burning Man, in a sense, so too, is I guess part of the DNA is to roll with it though, right? As in- right. It's a community-based thing. There's no selling of everything. You know, you trade, you exchange, you're rolling with it, you're going with it. People are doing that with their own personalities and how they're showing, showing themselves. You know. But I, I just want to say something here because we talked about the floods. Just to, just to, to, I just want to acknowledge on a deeper level the floods that happened there in Europe and Africa because of the amount of people missing and died. Like we're right. just talking about comparisons with something like Burning Man. It Doesn't even come close to tragedy right tragedies that happen there you know and i don't even want to try to reason that stuff it just it's just to acknowledge it and say that there's many people out there that are probably they're in their their place of sorrow and struggle you know and 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 situations like this i don't even want to get in my head about it i just you know all i could do is acknowledge that and send my best
0: you know to to those
1: people so
0: yeah, for sure, and just the different range of of hardship or sorrow experienced under the same full moon, um, and or at least during the same time frames. And there was also, um, this month that was also relevant. There was like a major earthquake in Morocco that took place on the eighth of September, um, where there was over three thousand deaths as a result of that, and it was one of the strongest earthquakes in Morocco's history. Um, and I don't actually have a lot to say about that astrologically, except that um, if I have the timing right of when it happened, then, Ura- then Uranus had just risen up over the horizon, over the ascendant when it happened, with Uranus having stationed just a week earlier. Um, and there were also some weird things in terms of um, some sort of delay in the government officially acknowledging or announcing the earthquake, as well as accepting aid. Um, that different countries are trying to to send in, which sounded very like Mercury retrograde y in the middle of this. Mm-hmm. Um so you know, it's tricky sometimes because I I usually try to just focus on news stories that we have something solid astrologically to say about. And you don't always necessarily, but these are some of the things that were all sort of swirled up and happening at the same time, and the the range of like human experiences of those different things. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. All right. Um so moving on. Um, speaking of Pisces, because we were talking about Saturn and Pisces, um, I don't know. Uh, this is more sort of like random and like chart based, but um, there's this YouTuber. He's the biggest. I think he's the biggest or most subscribed person on YouTube right, right now, called Mr. Beast. And I'd seen his videos around. I knew he was like the biggest YouTuber of the past few years, but I didn't know anything about him. But I started watching some of his videos and I thought it was a really interesting chart example of somebody with Jupiter in Pisces. So we don't actually have like a birth time for him yet, although I'd love to get a birth time if anybody wants to hook me up. But um, let me show his chart really quickly where he was born May 7th, 1998. Um, in Wichita, Kansas, I have this set as a um, just a noon chart, so the houses are not accurate and the moon is kind of cuspy, so it could be Virgo, it could be Libra. Um, but he has that Jupiter in Pisces, and I thought that was really interesting because he's somehow built a career off of... He's become very rich and famous off of giving away money, basically. Um, very early in his career I watched this little biography on him once I started watching some of his videos and one of his earliest things is when his YouTube channel first started to grow I think he was still a teenager and a advert a company like wanted to buy an ad and wanted to advertise a product and they offered him five thousand dollars to advertise his product and he said he said double it make it ten thousand and I'm gonna film a video I'm gonna give a give it away to a random homeless person a, a houseless person and then it'll be, a video and it'll be wildly successful and it'll be worth it for your company and he talked this company literally into it it was reluctant in first at first to do that and it worked and then the video went viral and he's been doing like the same thing over the past 10 years at different levels like one of his videos is he bought out like an entire car dealership he bought all the cars and then when people would like walk by and come in to like buy a car he would give the car away for free or later, recently, in the past couple of years, he became um he hit a hundred million subscribers on YouTube, which is just like a crazy like astronomical amount of subscribers. And he bought like a an island, and then he gave it away to a subscriber in like a competition for a video. So it's like somehow this is like the epitome of Jupiter and Pisces that somehow this guy has become rich and famous. Through giving away money, basically through generosity, in some sense, and I think there's something very illustrative there about Jupiter and Pisces. Yeah, absolutely. And I would also
2: add that uh, in the chart you see that Jupiter is sharing Pisces with the South Node, and with the South Node we look at letting go, giving away, giving up on, like not trying to control. Like it's literally giving away or giving up on letting go. Um, and so it's the tremendous amounts. Uh, you know. Or yeah, meaningful and sometimes tremendous amounts of liquid wealth uh, or cars, and just letting it go. Right, being selfless, um, and that's important because we're going to talk about the South Node quite a bit during the second half, <laughs> and that theme of like letting go. Right. Yeah.
1: I. Yeah. I think. Uh, I think when we were looking at this too, that he uploaded his first video. In 2012, and it was just within days that Neptune ingressed into Pisces, and it started off this journey for Mr. Beast. Um, And for those who don't know, too, the more intricate part of it is, yeah, he basically tells you that he takes advertising money because of the houseless video that he did. And takes that money and uses that money to buy the resources to give away. And then how he makes his money is pretty much off merch and Google ads or the ads you see on YouTube when you're watching Google AdSense. So he, that's his formula. He's never gone away from it. He blatantly says that's what he's doing. In, in the in its most interesting way is, you know, second, eighth house thing going back and forth here. Uh, uh, but. But I, Austin, what you said about the Pisces thing—I—I I don't think he can help it. I—I, I, it's just an open door. He can't help it. I think it hits his core, his heart, his spiritual nature, his everything. That he just has to do it. There's no other way for him. He has to be show his form of compassion and understanding for the human race, basically. Uh, that way, you know. Um, so.
0: Yeah. yeah. The- the other thing about the chart that I thought I like personally, or that I thought was interesting with an untimed chart, of course, but he has um, this Mercury-Saturn conjunction with Mercury around 20 Aries and Saturn around 26 Aries. And like, if you watch his early videos, like he was not a gifted communicator. And in fact, he kind of mumbles a little bit, like he's not a very good communicator, but just through sheer willpower and forcing himself to keep doing more videos and getting better and better over time... He's been able to like pull off becoming a successful YouTuber. And even now, he's not like the most amazing or, you know, communicator per se, but he's been able to like mold and craft himself into like what he wanted just through like hard work and like the dedication to wanting to achieve this as a career thing. And I can, I can resonate with that as a Mercury Saturn conjunction person who's also not a very gifted communicator like inherently, but I've like through effort and like striving and just like doing it over and over again, I've become, you know, acceptable enough to do, do like a podcast like this with lots of people listening. Acceptable enough. Acceptable. Uh, enough.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I, I, I would say Chris, it's more than that, but I see where you stand and how you go. And there's obsession involved in here too, in this chart. I don't know for you, Chris, but, but, you know, there, I mean, we're looking at Saturn, Mercury here in this chart, we're looking at a Mars sun and Taurus too, you know, and, and, just to dial in and to and to go but um i even noticed like to mention to this day when i was watching the videos how he talks like the the way his voice and fluctuations have changed from the very beginnings even to now there's still this hint of like there's these weird stuttering pauses i don't know what it is so i thought actually it might have been the editing in the video but it's not mm. it, it's this very interesting way that he, how he communicates you know uh as just yeah. to point out Go ahead. Well,
0: it's just interesting because that's okay. traditionally, it's like in ancient texts, you'll read a lot of negative delineations about Saturn, Mercury being people that stutter, people that have some sort of impairment with communication or something in different ways. And it's interesting seeing the real life versions of that. And, and you know, there's a spectrum, but seeing sometimes how people overcome challenges and difficulties in the chart and are still able to turn it into something that can be, you know, wildly successful.
2: Hmm. Uh, I would just add that I thought it was interesting that that Mercury Saturn conjunction is in the third decan of Aries. The third decan of Aries is a very spectacular place. Uh, you see, you see third decan Aries placements in a lot of um, performers, um, and um, this one makes me think of someone that I know. Um, who has um, Saturn and a Saturn Venus conjunction in the third decan of Aries, um, and they um, they they write and direct and create um, a, a theater and dance performances that are spectacular. And so Saturn there, not necessarily as being the um, the most charismatic performer in the whole thing, but having the but having a key role in structuring the spectacle. Right. Which uh, if you look at Mr. Beast videos, there's a lot of like figuring out, uh, you know, uh, figuring out the drama of like the spectacle of generosity in his case. But, you know, he does uh, game show esque things like uh, recreating squid game. Um, but like the one who designs not the one who runs the obstacle course fastest, but the one who designs the entire obstacle course that uh, that Saturn in the third decade of Aries uh, really jumped out at me. Yeah, That, that is totally sense.
1: dialed in about Mr. V's. That's really good. Austin, Because that sums it up about the, about him. Uh,
0: yeah. 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 So people should check out the videos. It's good illustration just to, cause like we can, we can say that and convey that, but it's actually like watching some of those videos that you get a better sense of, of how the chart matches. And yeah, if anybody is able to find out his birth time, let me know. Cause I'd love to see the actual chart and like what the house placements are and the sect and different things like that. Um, He's one more thing, Chris, before we leave this one, just just for reference, future reference. Mm -hmm.
1: Saturn and Aries, Neptune and Aries is coming his way here soon, you know. And he, it's going to be interesting when he hits that place of Saturn return. Saturn's going to come for his Venus and his Mercury, and Neptune's going to come for his Mercury eventually. So just talk about some of the things we talked about here about him. Uh, where I think we're going to see this. in 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 our eyes maybe even in the videos that he produces as possible you know coming to terms with something when it deals with his mercury and 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 basically a saturn return so um hopefully he doesn't disappear that he shows us his process and the changes that are going to happen to him so
0: yeah well i think everybody you know we were talking about duolipus saturn and pisces saturn return and then the saturn returns coming up for the saturn and aries folks before too long as well and just um, that being a major uh, you know defining turning point from like the first part of your life, the first half in some sense, building up to the second half and really moving more fully into a different stage of adulthood and the challenges that sometimes come up during that time, but also challenges that can sometimes be constructive. And while they can close some doors, they can open others and push you in the right direction or in a direction that can ultimately be where you're supposed to go. So we'll see how that goes for, for both of them. But uh, yeah, that's a good point. So um, speaking of, so there's other chart examples, one more celebrity chart example. If we still got time, where are we at with time, Austin? We are at 50 minutes. Okay. Let's just do one last example, since it's like currently in the news Um, right now, like Taylor Swift is in the news for uh, this relationship that's suddenly happening with Travis Kelsey, who's like a mate. He's one of the most famous football players in the United States right now um and all of a sudden there's some sort of like romance developing between him and one of the biggest singers musicians pop stars in the world which is Taylor Swift who's been all over the news this summer with the venus retrograde in leo and her huge tours that she's been doing so this story the main astrological thing i had to say about it was just that it was interesting because he Evidently, like, went to one of her concerts in July, in late July, and attempted to meet her. And he brought like a friendship bracelet, which he put his like phone number in and he was going to give it to her. But then apparently, he failed and just like she didn't know who he was or didn't want to meet up with him or didn't meet up with him or whatever. And that was right when Venus was stationing retrograde in Leo. So it's a really interesting example of like an attempt to have a, a relationship or to reach out to someone and having it fail while Venus is stationing retrograde. But then somehow, during the course of the summer, like word got back to her that that he was trying to meet her and she ended up connecting with him. And they did end up connecting. And now it's creating this sort of like media sensation where people are kind of like fixated on this relationship between these two very prominent people in their respective fields. Now that and I'm sure some of the timing of that probably coincided very well with the subsequent. Venus retrograde period and the station and some of the things that are happening now as we're finishing up the post retrograde shadow period of Venus while Venus is moving through the later part of Leo. So and, and
2: he's he's a he's a Sun Mars in Libra, correct Chris? Yes. He, he is because that, yes, that like friendship bracelet is such a like Libra meet cute move, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, and during the, is... and while Venus is retrograde, that shit did not work.
0: <laughs> yeah, here's the chart: yes, yeah, Sun conjunct Mars, uh, Sun at 12 Libra, and Mars at 10 Libra. And then what many people have noted is that, um, let me see if I can put up both of their charts in the Sinistry that, um, here it is, that they have a very close like Venus Mars conjunction where her Venus is at 26 Scorpio and his Mars. Do I have that right? Yeah, his Mar his Venus at 26 Scorpio is conjunct her Mars at 26 Scorpio, um, which is a very tight, very classic sinistry conjunction that's good for like romantic and especially like physical relationships between people and just like attraction between two people. And then interestingly, we don't have times, but um his moon should be in Sagittarius and her son is in Sagittarius. So they have a sun moon connection there as well, which is another classic indicator for like good sort of relationship compatibility. So we don't know about the rest.
2: Well, what's interesting is that he's, um, he's coming up on, he's going to have the first eclipse on his son Mm -hmm. in a series in a couple weeks. So I don't know, perhaps the Taylor verse will, will demolish him. Uh, I don't know, but it's interesting. Tonight. Yeah, all this is interesting just because of the clash
1: of worlds that we're dealing with, first and foremost. So, you know, as of yesterday, we were looking at three to 400,000 more followers on the social media profiles. His jersey sales have gone up. All of a sudden, you possibly have a demographic of women that are watching NFL football games on Sunday, specifically the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, to go back to that chart, I just can't help when I look at that Mars-Venus, you know, conjunction, but it's in Scorpio. Um, Yeah, it's intense. It's steamy. It's mysterious. But you know, if you've ever been around two Scorpios, if you ever seen two Scorpios that let's say are in an intimate relationship with each other and you happen to be in their personal world? What I've always seen is like a smart-alecky, snarky biting at each other constantly eventually like there's this kind of thing that's that's like one way of showing love and intimacy and like like down the line i'm like how is that gonna work out you know because and then when i look at it i just can't help it that that mars compared to the, the venus that travis has that mars and scorpio that is don't mess around with that in the end and you know again interesting dynamics here you know uh after the game on Sunday, they were in his convertible car driving around Kansas City. She was in the booth watching the game with his mom. Like, usually we meet the mom after a certain period of time or dates or something. But that's kind of like a big move to show yourself next to family and mother. Okay, so that I found that interesting too. And the, I think the other part of this is... uh Austin, is something you, I think you brought up about from what it looks like image-wise from a public relations point of view, you know, um, and how huge it is for both of them. Like, I don't you know, know how else you can elevate- It kind of looks elevate. like Barbie
2: and Ken, now that I think about it, that just occurred to me. Yeah. Which are activated archetypes right now. Definitely. Um,
0: well, one Definitely. of the things I noticed, I mean, actually, interestingly related to that um, was- she was born in December, mid December of 1999. Let me pull up her chart. There you go. There's her chart. See, her Venus is right here at one degree of Aquarius. And I immediately recognized that Venus from December of 1989 because Venus, I knew Venus would go retrograde. It's super far away from her sun at 21 degrees of Sag- Sagittarius. So you know it's getting ready to station retrograde, which it did just like a week or two after she was born. So she was actually born. Practically in the the range of like Venus um, stationing retrograde, and then of course we just had that major retrograde that happened this summer. So you know another interesting interesting little little tidbit there that could be pointing in an important direction in terms of things, but we'll see we'll see how it goes. And I'm sure maybe we'll talk about this again in the future.
1: Yeah, one more thing about this since we're bringing up the barbie ken thing or stuff of like what gender roles are and stuff i did i i mean we're talking upper echelons of wealth here with both of these people but she is upper upper echelon okay mm-hmm. and it's not just the wealth the imagery the power that's behind that everything that to build at the machine that has been created is just a whole nother stratosphere let's just say they're dating And it keeps, it's going to go forward. It's like, how does someone like Travis deal with that? And how is he looking at himself as Ken, as a man dealing with that power dynamic, right? And these are just things that happen between people in relationships. Typically, we all know this as an astrologer, so on and so forth. We get clients coming in, oh, and they get jealous of my success, or blah, 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 all types of stuff that happen. But I think here in the end, if we're looking to the future, if something were to happen, you know, certain things, I think these types of things, they play out. And from my point of view, uh, she's super rooted. And super dialed in on whatever she does, and it's highly calculated. And so,
0: we'll
2: see what happens. Good luck to them. Um,
0: yeah, if... for sure. Um, and
2: so, are we going to have a Taylor Swift watch section on every monthly?
0: Possibly. I mean, I had Barbie watch the past few months. So I got to figure out what's coming after that, and it might be Taylor watch. I Whoa. mean,
2: you know, I'm. I'm. It's kind of a joke, but it would be interesting to like. I don't know, just obsess about somebody's life and check in every month with all the tools of astrology. It would probably be unethical and very creepy. Um <laughs> but you know, we could have a predicted, we could have a forecast every month for Taylor Swift's love life. Uh, yeah. Or yeah, I don't know. We have the power, Chris. We're, but we're, do we have do we have the wisdom not to do it?
0: No, we have the wisdom to wield our power uh carefully and wisely and that's what we're doing by giving these brief glimpses but otherwise not going too far. Um because we have a, a special role as astrologers, as observers of what's going on around us with the mundane astrology, but also what's going on in people's lives, where there's such fascinating examples that are so striking in the news, uh, you know, with people's transits and stuff at the time that we we have to talk about that as astrologers, but we still try to do so respectfully. Whether you know that's somebody that we really like, in the case of like Taylor or something, or if it's somebody that we're not a huge fan of, um, still trying to maintain that sort of respectful middle ground. Um, but that actually brings up, you know, sometimes people use birth times, like for her, but we don't actually know her birth time. And I wanted to tell people, without getting too much in the details, to be very careful about what websites you're using for birth times because there are some places out there that are putting out fake birth times. And I talked about this very early in the astrology podcast, but I didn't realize that most younger people like didn't get the memo that there's just some websites that are not reliable. For the most part, Astrodata Bank is where you should go for birth information, and you should always look at the source notes to determine the reliability of the birth time before using it. And if you're relying on other websites, you may run into a situation where you could be using a birth time that's not actually true. So, since we just used a bunch of celebrity birth charts, I wanted to remember that I wanted to mention that really briefly here, just to be careful so that you don't like base things off of false birth chart or something like that. All right, that's all I want to say about that. I think that's good for the news section. All right. So before we jump into the forecast, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor for this episode, which is the Northwest Astrological Conference, which is happening next May in Seattle 2024. It's going to be the biggest conference of the year, uh, full of astrology lectures over a several day period. Uh have either of you heard of this thing, Northwest Astrology Conference? Um, it's familiar yeah. to
2: maybe maybe if you go on, it'll ring a bell.
0: Yeah. I mean, I do have this image they sent me and it does have your name on it as one of the core speakers. I'm assuming- Oh yeah, that's why. Right. That's it. All right. So Austin will be there. He's going to be giving two lectures and a workshop. Nicholas um, is also a longtime Norwalkian person who's been around Norwalk and that many people know from Norwalk who worked the bookstore there and has been involved for many, many years. Right, Nicholas? Yes, I have a history
1: there, like many of us do. Uh, it goes back 15, 16 years. Uh, I was volunteering and working for all those years. Until last year, I didn't do anything for the first time uh, as, as just a regular attendee, if that's a, for such a thing for me there like that. But I have nice. a deep history with that conference. It, it changed my life.
0: Yeah, you, me, I got my start there. Austin got his start there speaking. And now look at all of us now. So Norwac, this is going to be the 40th annual Northwest Astrological Conference. Uh, they started the first one way back in 1984, uh, which is actually the year I was born. So it's a little wild that it started way back the same year I was born. It's going to be taking place May 23rd through the 27th, 2024. And Um, It's a hybrid conference where you can attend either in-person or you can attend online live because they live stream the conference to attendees um, to make it more accessible over the past few years since COVID and everything else has started, which has been amazing. Um, If you sign up for the conference... Uh, when registration opens on October 10th, you actually get access to the recordings for two weeks. Even the lectures that you didn't attend, whether you attend in person or online, you get two weeks of access to the recordings so you can watch everything afterwards. Because that's often one of the trickiest things, is like at the Northwest Astrology Conferences, there's five different lecture rooms that are all simultaneously doing different astrology lectures and you get to like pick out which one you want to see but sometimes that can be a really tough choice like picking you know which lecture if you want to see like all five of them so that's one of the cool things about the hybrid model now is it allows you to go back and watch the lectures that you missed that you wanted to see over that two week period um let's see so there's going to be five different concurrent lecture tracks there's also going to be pre-conference workshops, there's going to be post-conference workshops where different astrologers are going to do intensives for like an entire day on a specific topic. Um, Austin, I believe you're doing one of the workshops.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be doing a workshop for, I guess, third or fourth, fourth year in a row, no, third year in a row. Um, and it'll, I think it's a pre-conference. I, I'm i not a hundred percent, but yeah, we're going to spend a whole day with uh, Marsilio Ficino. I'm really looking forward to it. You know, Ficino is um, at this really interesting sort of triple crossroads of astrological magic, medicine and wellness and straight up astrology. And so there's it's uh, it's uh, his work is incredibly rich and I would say more relevant by the day to what people are interested in. Like, do you like magic and remediation and astrology? Marcilio Marsilio was doing that 500 plus years ago. Um, and so
0: we're going we're gonna to step into Marsilio's space for a while. I have a great lecture title for you. I'll give you this to you for free. Getting Silly with Marsilio. Right there. Best title you've ever had. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, so Austin's awesome Giving Workshop. There's going to be 32 other speakers, just amazing speakers at this conference, um there's going to be social events there's like a bookstore like the most amazing astrology bookstore in person you've ever been to with like hundreds of titles uh, as well as a trade show and um different social events like dinners as well as like a dance night and different things like that it's truly like an experience um that all astrologers like have at some point and that you once you have that experience you often end up wanting to go back i think that's the usual feeling
1: and that weird odd hotel and where it's situated everything about it is just his own charisma (laughs) for better or worse whatever it is but there's something about the layout and the way people interact physically in the spaces I think that that gives a fertile ground for just a, a certain type of connections or you know the old saying for that conference is you never get lost in the crowd and it's actually true it's actually true with that conference and you know uh um yeah. Uh, same people working there for a long time. There's free cookies, free warmed cookies in these drawers at the hotel. You just ask them, they give you free cookies. So I don't know what else you want, like go to the conference, but get free cookies. Um, the dance good- party last year, by the way, that was incredible. It was an upper, took it to another level. And then there's the things that happen outside the hotel, the socializing, lots of restaurants, free ride from the from the airport to the hotel and back. Because, you know, think about Ubers cost you 50, 60, 70 bucks each way, you know, stuff like that. I will say on a personal note, besides I have a deep history there from involvements of helping with the diversity scholarships that were there and and hooking up Sam and Laura in that way and
0: uh, to do the first hybrid conference with Laura. Which we did an episode on like right after it happened in 2020 in the middle of the pandemic.
1: Yeah, that was a monumental task and a wild ride you know it's interesting to see here we're doing hybrids a lot of people are doing hybrids now but one thing i want to say is somebody on that list ali alomi who's been very popular in the twitter sphere and stuff and his patron you know it i i was part unofficially to try to get this person to communicate with them to get them to the conference and we pulled it off So just for that alone, along with the 40th anniversary, the history that is there, uh, it's a special one next year, and it's gonna sell out. So if if anybody out there is thinking of going, you jump on and get the rooms, find roomies, you you know, collectively figure a way out to get there. um, It's gonna be an amazing conference. So
0: yeah, so that's the thing is the hotel it does have like limited space and it has sold out the past few years. So space is limited. I would recommend getting your tickets soon. Registration is going to open on October 10th. But if you go to the website norwac.net right now and sign up for their mailing list, you'll get a notification as soon as registration opens. Um, so that should give a good chance for everybody that wants to get in-person tickets, get access to it. Or if you're not able to get them, you can uh, attend live through the hybrid conference, which is also just as good. Um, and like I said, you'll get access to the recordings for two weeks after. And even after that, um, you can go onto the Norwalk.net website and purchase recordings of different lectures individually, or they have a whole back catalog of lectures from the past 40 years that you can actually purchase through their website as well, which is pretty awesome. So I would recommend checking it out. It's going to be a great conference, and um, I'll put a link to it in the description below this video on YouTube or on the podcast website, but otherwise visit Norwalk.net for more information. All right, cool. So why don't we transition into talking about the forecast for October at this point and getting into the astrology of next month? Um How does that sound? So one of my first impressions, just to give like overview impressions, is this looks like a pretty intense month coming up. So we've got eclipse season starting. We've got two major eclipses, which we've seen in different years, especially a year ago. like eclipse season was pretty intense. Um, but this one's particularly intense and there's a lot of Pluto stuff happening this month with like one of the eclipses is square Pluto, um, Pluto's stationing, uh, directing Capricorn. There's going to be a sun, Mercury Kazemi that's like squaring Pluto at the same time. It's just like intense Pluto stuff pretty much throughout this month was m- one of my first impressions.
2: Yeah. I think that's a good read, you know, that,
0: um, you know, there,
2: uh, for those of us in the Northern hemisphere, you know libra beginning the um the, the the fall season and darkness slowly outpacing daylight just a little bit every day you know always has a little bit of a you know winding cotonian feel um and then with the um with the solar the first solar eclipse in libra initiating a series of solar eclipses in libra and then with all of the pluto stuff there's uh there's yeah there's depth mystery mm, terror um <laughs> a variety of things like there, it's uh, it's uh, it, it's a it's a it's a winding staircase down
0: yeah intrigue what are some other like power control manipulation yeah. intense transformations or secrets. transformative experiences secrets yeah. that's a really good one
1: read the the power play the power struggle, right? The the power
2: well, game. I would I would also argue that power itself is always kind of a mystery because it's mm-hmm. always in power's interest to conceal itself and to look like something else. And so, you know, uh, it, it, whenever you look, uh, whenever people go to study power, um, it's not right there. It's very rarely naked right and so to figure out what's actually going on what's actually moving things um is uh is always to a certain degree like um a mystery novel or a whodunit right there there's always like power is mysterious yeah
1: especially in an entrenched story and theme with pluto in capricorn Mm -hmm. you know those are not only is it deep, it's it's deep in deep in the ground and, and that those types of things it's almost like we forgot like we're busy with the Venus retrograde transit and some other things it's just kind of forgot that well Pluto's there we know it but it was' right. not there it's just there and all of a sudden it's here and not only is it here, it's along with eclipses and other as parts showing up that way so
0: for sure it's like wielding power all of a sudden um openly even if it's not. Direct or obvious where it's coming from, and definitely with Capricorn, you get into like hierarchical issues and issues of hierarchy, and and who's at the top of the food chain and who's at the bottom, and different attempts to wield power from different ends of that of the food chain.
2: Yeah, and who's who's wielding
0: and who is actually an implement in someone else's hand, right? And or and who doesn't know that they're the implement in somebody else's hand, right? All right, so let's pull up the chart and start getting into the the details here to orient ourselves and we'll move forward to the first of the month. All right, so here's October 1st. This is how we open. This is our opening sort of chart, opening alignment of planets. We see Mercury is at 24 degrees of Virgo, so it's finishing up its transit in Virgo, and that's one of our first major shifts this month is when Mercury departs from Virgo and moves into Libra pretty early on, but we're pretty solidly out of the Mercury retrograde and the post-Mercury retrograde shadow period. Um, We do begin the month with a kind of murky Mercury-Neptune opposition, um, which may make some things um, unclear, make communication unclear, um, have a tendency, especially in relationships with like other people for you know attempts at communication, but that communication either being misunderstood or sometimes uh, deception in communication is one of the issues that can come up with that. Um, what else is going on here early in the month? We see Mars is transiting through Libra in the first part of the month, but we're going to get a shift into Scorpio later on, which is going to be one of our more dramatic ingresses or at least distinctive ingresses of this October.
2: Yeah, I mean, the um, one important thing to note about the beginning of the month is we're almost done with Venus in Leo and Mercury in Virgo, right? We've had um, extended, Venus has spent, uh, it'll be nearly four months in Leo, and Mercury has also done an extended period of time in Virgo. And so we're just about at the end of those, right? Yeah. And so within, I think, by the end of the first week certainly in the first 10 days both of those change and then mars is also changing and so by the middle of the month mercury venus and mars will all be in different signs so there's a lot of like wrapping things up um, that uh, at the beginning um before things reset in the middle That's a great uh, point.
0: Like We're done looking back into the past and the summer of that looking back into the past or the past coming back into the present through the retrogrades of Venus and then Mercury. And At this point, we are um, starting to move into the future and starting to make some new beginnings, not just with those two ingresses, but also those two major eclipses and my keywords for those always traditionally being major beginnings, major new beginnings, and major endings.
1: Yeah. It's almost like, I think after what Austin said, these planets ingressing and moving forward, it then it feels like the season begins, Like, right? You know, we've had a little bit of an ease into it, but then the season kicks in and it doesn't kick in. It kicks in hard,
2: strong, yeah. I think. so. Yeah, it's funny. Even when I look at my own schedule, I'm like, oh, I just got to get through, you know, to the first week of October and then all this stuff is done. And then, you know, and then, uh, then a new set of, whatever will we'll begin. there will be room for that.
0: Yeah. So we see this Venus ingress here at the end of the first week on the 8th and ninth. finally gets to 29 Leo and then departs and moves into Virgo um, where she immediately runs into an opposition with Saturn. So that's something I want to talk about in the second week, but I'm trying to think if there's anything else before we get there. It's just this fir- first week is really wrapping up the very tail end of the Venus retrograde And because it's going to come back to its shadow degree, there may be some things from either late July back when Venus stationed at that degree that are going to come back and um, that you'll have some final resolution to, some final ending point or like period at the end of the sentence, whatever that paragraph or that long chapter was of the summer of, of 2023 for you if it was really tied in with that Venus retrograde, you'll finally get the end point to that before transitioning into the new chapter. Um, but for some people, it may go even further back to when Venus first ingressed into Leo, because that's the other thing about this re- Venus retrograde is it wasn't just the retrograde itself, but it was just like a super long transit of Venus through one sign of the Zodiac and through one house in our chart, especially using whole sign houses. So that goes all the way back into like like the June timeframe, I believe, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of like, okay, so it, it, one, like you get results, right? But it, there's also a sort of resumption of normal. It's sort of like, okay, so this is how it's going to be moving forward. You know, all the stuff um, back and forth over the summer. And then I guess this is how it's going to be, right? And then moving forward into normal Venus for months and months and months and months and months.
0: Yeah, here. It and is. then on,
2: on a smaller level, with Mercury
0: moving into Libra, like finishing up the the extended time in Virgo. Yeah, here. So June fifth is when Venus first went into Leo, and I was, I was just doing a workshop with my students of my Hellenistic course, and there was somebody where the events of the summer like immediately began shortly after Venus ingressed into Leo. So that's one of the reasons I wanted to mention that for people to pay attention to in their chronology, because some of the people it's going to be closing up events that go that far back at this point
1: yeah uh, i i think too i think it's interesting just to point out too. the beginning of the month here like we we had the very end of september with the venus year in square the third one you know along with the with the lunation that happened but venus does make an aspect with the nodes in the beginning of the week and the early part of the week kind of a, like a last aspect i would say you know before it does its ingress in the Virgo. And considering that we have a major nodal story and eclipse story coming in, Venus does have an imprint a little bit there and does a connection with uh with their I see here on the first, uh yeah, officially as I officially on the second, I think, exact, but um um yeah. Right.
0: So Venus trines the north node from 24 Leo to 24 Aries. Mm-hmm. Got it. Good point. Um Okay, and then, yeah, we see Mercury change signs, so that's finishing up that retrograde period. Um, When did Mercury first go into Virgo? Do you guys remember the date?
2: Early August, I want to say.
0: Here, let me animate it. I'll go all the way back. I'm not used to using this software. So this is Astro Gold, um, and uh, I forgot to mention you can uh, get a 15% discount on this by using the promo code astropodcast15. Um, If you search for the Astro Gold astrology software for Macintosh, which is what I'm using today. So the 29th of July
1: is, is I think the Mercury Ingress.
0: Yeah. That's what I see. So yeah, it's been a while. So that was like white, right after Venus stationed retrograde, like a week after. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So those were super tied in together. And so
2: what's interesting is, you know, the, the Mercury retrograde and then the second half of Uh, or a lot of Venus's retrograde were tied together in time. They were co-occurring, but the planets weren't aspecting each other. There were, you know, two stories that were running side by side. Whereas when we get this, um, uh, when we get this change of Mercury into Libra and then Venus into Virgo, um, the two are the two uh, move into mutual reception, where Mercury in Libra is ruled by Venus and Virgo. Venus and Virgo is ruled by Mercury in Libra. And so the two start communicating a lot, mm. right? Like that mercurial uh, data di- data-driven ideas um, function, and then um, the much more passionate, desirous um, aesthetic um, <clears throat> uh, social Venusian function. Um, and so that's kind of interesting and might be kind of useful because they have both just been through a thing, and getting those planets re-coordinated um, will be part of what we're seeing during the middle of the month.
1: I, I think that's a int-
2: good point
1: and a good place sometimes that people need something for the months to 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 utilize, I, I, as in they're sharing notes and what they've been through because both mm. planets did have relations with same a lot of the outer bodies during the transit. You know, during their transits, basically. So, you know, if you think you from you go from Jupiter, Saturn, Neptune, all the way through, you know, Venus had the uh your Mercury had the connections, most of them. Venus did too with a lot of those bodies, and and here they are. They're kind of, I think, to, to go off what Austin said. There's an exchange here, uh, and a pretty good one, considering other transits that could be are going to happen. Where I think people to share some notes, um, because they both, you know both ran into Uranus, both had that, you know, and and so on and so forth. And it's just, I mean, right around that time too, I think on the third, just so we don't forget, there's a Mercury-Pluto trine that happens from the chart that you had up there too, so.
0: Okay, uh, let me show that because that's certainly relevant. There's so many Pluto aspects this month, and I think that's what we'll get into next here. So the, yeah, so right here, so Mercury hits 27 Virgo around October 3rd and trines Pluto. Um, that can be a very good aspect for getting to the bottom of things. Um, like Mercury's already in the detail oriented Virgo um, sign, which is very good for like numbers and crunching the numbers and figuring things out in a very practical manner and having that boost from Pluto um, can help to get to the bottom of things even more effectively and more quickly. So um, that is the first week and some of the stuff as we're basically finishing up and coming off of the Mercury and Venus retrogrades, all of that is completed by end of the first week, um, early second week of the month. And this is where we start getting into some of the the major changes and some of the heavy shifts that are going to happen this month in the second week of October. So one of the things I want to mention right at the top is that as soon as Venus changes signs and goes into Virgo. on the eighth and ninth and tenth, we get this Venus-Saturn opposition, which is kind of notable. Um, it's one of the things that stood out actually that Lisa Lisa pointed out to me, which is that both benefics get oppositions from malefics this month mm-hmm. um, to illustrate some of the tensions that we're having. First with Venus opposing Saturn briefly for just a few days, uh, but then later we'll get a Mars-Jupiter opposition as well, and that one happens around the time of our second eclipse in Taurus. So, um, tensions there between those two directions. In the one hand, we have Venus here in Virgo, who's trying to make a fresh start, but initially is sort of confronted with the sort of coldness and stiffness of Saturn um, as she's like adjusting to this new environment in Virgo, which is not even typically like a sign that Venus is normally super comfortable with because she has to adapt to the analytical nature of like the mercurial sign.
2: Yeah, it's um and you know having having gotten to experience the planets opposing uh Saturn and Pisces a lot uh, in the last six months you know the Saturn Pisces seems to have a really um suppose, like a really immense heavy sort of sad feeling for a lot of people mm. um and you know Venus tuning into that on an emotionally should say receptive colorful wavelength like there's just a heaviness with saturn and pisces you know there's that um that universality of pisces and then saturn just seems to saturn seems to emphasize like big um big sad things that we may not be able to do anything about but that we do have to carry we we have to carry their 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 weight uh emotionally at times Yeah. yeah i think too
1: uh, with what you said austin then with venus being on the opposite there in virgo you know i think from a i guess textbook perspective astrologically and stuff of how venus is going to function through virgo and you know that sense of uh, assistance and service you know going to catch saturn and pisces the way you just said you know they can they want to assist and help and solve the melancholia let's say right but but that goes deep in pisces you know can it ever be feeling that in a moment, can it ever be fulfilled or solved or advanced or whatever? And, you know, Venus and Virgo is going to be, want want to be attentive to that, you know, might catch the cold shoulder as they try, you know.
0: That's a good point. That was something I think we talked about in the Pisces episodes, that both Virgo and Pisces are very helpful signs or they have a helpful, an impulse to want to help. But in Virgo, it's more of a practical helpfulness of like helping you fix your car or something like that, or do your taxes. Whereas in Pisces, it's more of like helping you to save your soul or or something like that. And that that's part of the tension that opens up here between Venus and Saturn right now at the opening of the month or the opening of the second week.
2: Yeah. And just to contrast it with Venus's four months in, in Leo, right? Like Venus and Leo likes getting excited, big dreams, like Sort of archetypal exciting um color saturated visions um and for people uh, you know for people who are kind of uh had a, a vision for this next phase seated this um uh this this phase in virgo especially the uh the first part opposite saturn is it's a bit of a come down, right? It's not a, like a permanent harsh reality check, but it's it's a bit of a come down. It's not nearly as like bright and colorful um, and sort of free.
0: Yeah, I did a live stream on this, but it's worth re- mentioning. But a, a listener pointed out in the YouTube comments after our last forecast that um, Pantone, the Pantone like color of the year that they set last December was actually like pink. It was like a version of like hot pink. Which I thought was brilliant with the Venus retrograde in Leo. And I think we learned a lot about how, you know, like fashion, like Venus in Leo was a lot about fashion and like coming out and putting on a display in different forms and how good that can be or how good that can feel. Um, so that's part of the shift here is like, you know, fashion week of fashion summer is kind of like over all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And now we're moving into a different phase, which is like whatever comes after that, which is like going back to work and, and like doing your bills or something like that.
1: Yeah, the, and the, yeah. remember too, there's I think there's a part of the the Virgo story is the inwardness too of looking at oneself and finding things to tweak and the change and so on and so forth. But yeah, it gets cold as soon as, and then it gets like doubly cold running into Saturn, right? Right after this major you know coming out of a fiery place even if the fire was quelled at certain points during the retrograde it wasn't inflamed like the venus and leo is used to coming at the tail end of coming out of the retrograde and going over the shadow and then hitting all these outer body planets hitting jupiter and chiron and uranus at the end and there's something you know and you know venus in the sky in the morning has been as morning star bright you know there's there's that but yeah we come to this chapter of like uh it's, it's like a I don't know the coldness sometimes, so on and so forth. But I think too, not to remember this, the criticalness of Saturn in a sense too of what Saturn brings, being on the opposite opposite side of Venus, can throw that critical vibe even on the to Venus. Mm-hmm. You know, too, and I forget about this opposition. And one more thing too is, if one is going to do, they have let's say something at these degrees, right, mutable or like a Virgo Pisces. You could look to the Mars transit that happened earlier when it to the points in time when it was opposite saturn and at the times of mercury was through here you know and and now here comes venus you know trailing up in the end here to do this so yeah. Um,
0: yeah and coldness and also slowness and it reminds me of it's like the venus retrograde was square to uranus and square to jupiter and there was just like this sense of like optimism and newness and quickness But all of a sudden, now that we're coming out of that, we're moving into a period where things Venus gets, I don't want to say like dumped like cold water on her head, but certainly there's a more of a sense of like realism of now that the like exciting, like romantic phase of Venus is sort of like dying down, like the early phases of a relationship, when it comes to like the hard work and like dealing with some things where things are not as idealistic as you would like them to be, like what do you do and how do you navigate that? I think as part of the energy of this, this Venus ingress. Yeah.
2: Yeah. There's, um, yeah, the, like the, the, the sizzle reel of a new journey is over and now it's just, you know, the day to day of doing that, but also say like, you know, in terms of hot, like coldness, um, and hot, right. Like, uh, think of the, the, the chemistry terms of like exothermic and endothermic, like does something give off heat when you connect to it, or does it pull heat from you? Venus has been very exothermic, like giving off a lot of heat, some of it contentious, but giving off a lot of heat and light. And this, for a while, Venus is going to be, um, once we get the ingress into Virgo, much more endothermic, much more like when you kind of touch the part of your life or part of yourself that's, uh, that is Venus, it's, um, you know, it's going to be, it's going to feel cool and and it might chill you uh, a little bit, but it's, it's. um As we were saying, it's much more about the contrast
0: between where it's
2: been and where it's going to be for a while.
0: For sure. So, and happening around the same time, and this is a good transition point because it's happening almost simultaneously. We see Venus here at 29 degrees of Leo on October 8th and shifting into Virgo. Right at the same time, Mars comes up to 27 degrees Mm -hmm. of Libra, where it squares Pluto at 27 degrees of Capricorn. And this is one of our, it's not our only tense aspect, but this is one of our, tensest aspects of the month is this Mars-Pluto square that occurs right here on October 8th and 9th. And it's intensified by the fact that just a few days later, Pluto stations direct in Capricorn. So it's basically stationing, which is an intensification of any planetary transit. A station is an intensification of it, in this case of Pluto, while Mars is squaring it. Oh, go ahead. Just that's a, that's a very intense aspect that's happening right here at the same time that we get this Venus Saturn opposition and that shift out of the Venus retrograde. Yeah, and the Mars is conjunct the South
2: Node, um, and Mars is rulers of Venus, which is opposite Saturn. It's I've, I've been thinking about this one uh, a lot because not only um, not only do we have rough stuff happening then in the third decade of Libra, but our uh, our solar eclipse a week later will also be. In the third decan of Libra, and you know, thinking about that, like the third decan of in the third decan of Libra, you have a dynamic where usually there there's a bunch of stuff that's carefully and some sort of precariously balanced. Um, in the book, I used a, a gyroscope as an image, but you know, it's a little bit of a carousel. It's like it's the you know the the lived experience of trying to keep a bunch of plates spinning. And I think what this is going to look like and feel like for a lot of people is recognizing that they can't keep all the plates spinning or can't juggle four balls and having to like let go of trying to, trying to keep it all balanced. Um, Cause that's, there's so much, there's so many challenges to that being able to hold a center of gravity while things move around you, both here and then again a week later.
1: I think it's yeah. interesting there what you said too, because if there's a bunch of trying to balance everything and a bunch of spinning plates, no matter how good someone is at that of multiple juggling balancing, especially in the politics of relationships, if we're talking about Libra, it doesn't matter to Pluto and Capricorn. It doesn't matter how much they're spinning and doing. There, there is this like it's not good enough, or you got to go deeper, or you know, there's this tension between you know to go off with austin so using that example you know but again we're sort of it's this isn't it should be a surprise you know the first week of august you know mars is passing through the node there and it's like prepping this story it's like there it's just building and to get we get to this point where there's multiple aspects happening within 24 hours here uh so on and so forth i um it's this is tough i to me i mean this is a tough one and and uh, usually, we've, if I say the words "reality check," we're more talking about Saturn, right? But but I, I think here it's a different type of, with just Pluto just shows up kind of thing, and that Pluto just showing up isn't just some twenty percent showing up; it's it's a deeper, longer story right back in one's place or faces at those late cardinal degrees.
0: So, um, yeah, yeah, we've done some keywords for this uh one of them is for the mars pluto square is like intense energy um but also power struggles determination inner conflict transformation um intensity in relationships sometimes especially with the venus saturn opposition but also um caution like the need to exercise some caution at the same time are all like themes coming up around this time with this mars pluto square
2: yeah, and so Nick, uh, you you said something about you know thinking of a reality check with Mars, or excuse me, with Saturn. And so this is Mars, right? This is Mars, um, in an extremely difficult place. Like if we're seeing it from Mars's perspective, Mars is always striving to do things, striving to get it done, trying to, um, you know, trying to juggle as many plates as possible or or whatever. But this shows like especially, and you see this whenever Mars is configured with Pluto and Mars in the South node, it's like a limit to how much your bravery, heroism, ability, willingness to dig deep can actually affect things. Like sometimes it doesn't matter, um, you know, how heroic or uh, how hard you're willing to try or how much you're willing to uh, give it, just like this can't be done. Um, And I I think that, yeah, with the South node, there's maybe a useful suggestion of um, putting down one of the plates for a little while rather than just trying to power through it, right? Because Mars is not in a position to power through this.
1: No, it's not. And I, I also, and I don't, what I'm about to say, like what comes up here is I, I'm not trying to talk bad about Libras or someone's got Mars and Libra, but I think part of the story has to do with I think it's interesting Mars being there because sometimes we, with Mars we deal with what conflict is, but 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 in Libra, it can almost double and triple down on the avoidance of conflict, on the avoidance of challenge. Because not wanting to rock the boat, but but here, you know, with juggling all those plates, da, 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 it's like you just make it it's almost like making it worse sometimes, you know, and so right, trying just,
2: so hard to yeah. keep the boat from rocking yep. is is you know, is a very Mars and Libra heroic effort. But yeah, as in uh,
1: to you to if one finds themselves in the position of this to like like Austin said, put down the plates, you know, put it down. Or another way is can you constructively, how can you constructively use Mars and Pluto together? Right. But I think there has to be like a honest look at like first, like how much am I trying to do just to just to avoid something really just an avoidance of a certain truth, you know. Uh, what are the the...
0: construct? Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to go ahead,
1: Chris. Go ahead.
0: I'm trying to think you mentioned constructive. What are some of the constructive uses of like Mars, Pluto? I think about, um, like the metaphor of like somebody that's really strong and doesn't know their own strength. Like let's say somebody that's really big. That's like handling something that's really small, like a kitten and that they have to be careful because sometimes maybe they could overdo it. And end up like hurting something that they're trying to to care for or take care of or accomplish, or something like that. Like those are some of the themes that come up with Mars. Pluto is, um, you know, putting a lot of effort into something or a lot of power, a lot of energy, but sometimes like overdoing it and going too far and and needing to exercise some restraint so that you don't overdo it.
1: Yeah, I, 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 yeah. That I think that's a good way. And if you talk, you use the word restraint, right? If, if I mean, I could say that could fall into the Capricornian language, you know, uh, restraint isn't being Saturn ruled. Um, but I, I think first and foremost, one has to recognize the power dynamic, whatever that is, whatever the power dynamic, the what you can and cannot do, and right. and if you if you unsee that, then you know what to do or how far you could go. But usually with the square or something like this, it's like not knowing what you can and cannot do, or it was something habitual and you just keep trying to do it, but you don't understand why the tension.
0: And and that's a really right. great keyword power dynamic and, and how there's been so much discussion about power dynamics over the past several years. And um, sometimes people also becoming aware of power dynamics that they weren't aware of or how they're exercising power without being aware of it, but once made aware of it, how much you can try to adjust things in order to make sure you're not um, wielding positions of power, even minor ones in ways that are harmful or, um, you know, not moral or, or what have you.
1: Yeah, uh, one little thing I'll say to that, along with what you said here, not to for- forget this we're going back to how we started to talk here with Mars and the node that just not forget that's just part of this it's not separate from Mars Pluto square and you know um what happens in the tail what happens on the south node of of, of what is a lot of probably we're going to keep talking about here in this month of can one in one situation predicament power dynamic what are can they purge and let go can they see that? Can they come let that go? So, um but I, anyway, just the the node in Pluto on, on with Mars, it's just it's more it's too, it's too much, more than enough, but it's the deal, and we have to deal with it. And I'm yeah, sure. I think that
2: that letting go is going to end up being a big theme. You know, with um Chris, you asked about Mars Pluto keywords, like control is a huge one um Mm -hmm. and you know with the south node with this being in libra um that like figuring out what to let go of control over um is a is a huge thing i think of you know with pluto sims you have sort of titanic forces you know you have like history as a you know as a as a titan right and you're never going to be stronger than history no matter how many weights you lift right (laughs) or books you read um and knowing when like you're, it's just the wrong scale of conflict or and sometimes that's smaller, like in a relationship, like, Oh, it, I can't change this power dynamic or I can't like, like that. I just got to let go of it. Uh, I think I I really feel like the win here. Like if you're, you know, it's like feeling uh, the image of like being dragged along. Like if you have a rope around an elephant that is rampaging and you're getting dragged and, you know, getting torn up by the underbrush. What if you just let go? Right. And then you were, you know, rather than like, no, I'm gonna get this elephant, right? You know, like it, it it's going to yield to me, right? Maybe just let go.
0: But that letting go in and of itself is such a huge re- revelation and is the hardest thing because you never conceptualized yourself as being able to let go of that thing.
2: Yeah. Well, and that's the thing with the nodes is it's um most of their action is beneath the threshold of daily daily consciousness. And then when nodal stuff does break the surface, it it has that quality, like you're saying, Chris, of revelation. Like, oh, I've been really holding on to things being this way, or to being able to do that, or et cetera, et cetera, without even thinking about it.
0: Right. Um. So this is bringing up also, since Pluto's stationing, it brings up in terms of mundane astrology and broader things, that this is actually the last final pass of the United States Pluto return essentially, because even though it doesn't go exact, um, when the country was founded in 1776, if you use that chart, it had Pluto at 27 degrees of Capricorn. So Pluto is now getting back to 27 degrees of Capricorn for the last time. It's stationing there this month and that sort of implies something broader or more important in terms of the United States and some of the events happening in October. Um, We have talked about in previous episodes how the US Sibley chart, if you use that chart, it has Sagittarius rising and therefore Pluto's in Capricorn in the second house of finances of the US Sibley chart. And of course, we are looking at the possibility of like a government shutdown uh, coming up here in October and whether that could have... I know in past shutdowns, there's been some negative um, financial implications on the country and on the economy and all these other things. Um, as well as a lot of government workers then that are suddenly like out of a job or unemployed or aren't having income, which very much brings up some of those Pluto themes of like being stuck in a power struggle between two different sides and you being caught in the middle of it and not having like agency to control it,
2: yeah, that you know, thinking about the like carefully precariously balanced situation um with the pluto Pluto stationing in the u s. second and then, Um, With some other factors, like just looking at um, the the precariousness, uh, the precarious state of commercial real estate in the United States. It would not be shocking um, if there was some um, some economic difficulty uh, or uh, what do they call it? They call it a correction. Right. Uh, Some sort of correction um, this month
1: yeah i it's, i think it's interesting what you said because we're playing this dance here this year and next year with the last degrees capricorn pluto being in capricorn you know we're gonna do the ingress come back to aquarius we're gonna come back and you know when was the last major correction or crash and it was in 2008 and and, and it was in the beginning of a transit with pluto here and so you know it, it's. It to me, we have examples of the power struggle and dynamic, and the it's basically who's the struggle over master of coin, basically, too. Here, part of this, too, here, and how it affects everybody. But, um, yeah, uh, uh, uh supposedly. The first the first weekend of October or the Saturday before the first is the last time it, if a plan can get sent to Biden for for them to sign. But they have to negotiate, and the plans are getting taken away and putting on the table. But if it goes into this place, um, I I think it creates even more of a rift within the country. <laughs> like there isn't a deep one already, and and it's a pure setup for next year and the election and politics and. The, the struggle continues you know
0: um yeah, yeah that, well, that's what i was the, thinking is
2: i was just gonna say you know the possibility if there's a shutdown blah, 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 you know one possibility is a downgrade of the u.s's credit rating yep. um you know it, the, these things are, are 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 floating as as real maybes and i do want to say I've, I've been chatting with cryptodomus uh on twitter about this and so i just wanted to make sure that uh I wasn't presenting all of this as my my own ideas mm-hmm. ex-Nilo. We've been talking, we talked about this last month um, and this stuff is, it's it's floating. Like these are real possibilities and these are like, these are not stabilizing configurations that we're looking at right mm-hmm. now, right? There's nothing about here where it's like, well, things really steady, up. things really firm up, um, you know, while Mars is square Pluto and conjunct the South and at the end of Libra. That's where, uh, <laughs> you know, that's, that's where things are really, that's where things become certain and reliable again.
0: And I think he was point he was pointing out because I talked to him briefly. Maybe you could remind me about showing some parallels of like Mars conjunct the South Node in Libra, and how that's what happened in like '87 during that crash or something.
2: Yeah, he was looking at um, uh, previous previous iterations of Mars conjunct the south node in Libra, which happens about every 19 years, but sometimes skips. And the last time we had it was uh, during the crash in 87. And then when you follow it backwards, you always get some sort of correction um, or downturn of very unequal intensities, right? It's not like crash level 87 every time. Um, but you know he he found something that consistently gave that kind of result, um, and yeah,
0: and that got me thinking. Yeah, Lisa Anderson in the live chat says nineteen eighty seven was also part of this eclipse cycle, of course, because if the if the node was in Libra, then there would be eclipses taking place there at the same time. Yeah. Um, so shout out to everyone in our live chat who's joining us today. We got some really useful comments coming in from patrons. So, um, yeah, and then the final thing, of course, with that, and the Pluto return over the past few years that we've been having it, and in the lead up to the election, since now we're we're only going to be about a year out as of November to the 2024 election, is some of the stuff going on with... Um, You know, Trump and some of his associates, and some of the prosecution that's taken place now, and the sort of drama surrounding that of whether that's going to go through or whether the election's going to happen first before anything is finalized there. In which case, you know, if he's president, he could be immune essentially legally. And the questions surrounding that could be very much tied in with the US Pluto return at the same time, especially because there was a poll that came out recently that showed that he's actually leading, that Trump is actually leading Biden in the polls. So some of this stuff with his legal challenges and cases actually could really make a difference in terms of what happens in the 2024 presidential election. Yeah, so, he,
1: there's the recent, just in the last 24 or 48 hours that we're talking here, there's a recent judgment against Trump family, the fraud and the, what funds are, so on and so forth. In and, and the weirdest of ways, it that the situation with Trump and family and finances and the history with that family—it's almost representative of a big part of the history of the United States when it comes to how money is made, so on and so forth. So what's legitimate money and and those who have manipulated systems and laws to acquire coin and whether it's legitimate or not. Um, so it's just some is, thought is that in my just head. this country? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, in all kingdoms, right? austin and all whatever but it's pretty much
2: the same old story yeah you so, know so just one thing real quick just the like you know looking at all this and just thinking libra like oh like it's this is so like you it's all these scales and it's like oh if it tips wet that this way all these implications oh but this week it's tipping this way all right. of these implications i think this is a lot of the vibe yeah. of the month and like watch the scales but don't get too caught up in today it tip to the left i think there's going to be a lot of back and forth because mm. there are a lot of um i should say a lot gets uh, uh, a <laughs> a lot gets placed on the scales this month that will send them wobbly like we haven't even gotten to the eclipse yet yeah.
0: yeah that'd be a good title the wobbly scales is our working title for this month um, watch that wobble watch that wasn't wobble. there a dance
2: craze that was like wobbling, <laughs> wobbling, we wobbling. wobble in wobble in we wobble
0: in wobble Oh, uh, I don't know. We're gonna let's workshop this. We'll workshop this title okay. between well, now and now. The craze day. is
2: gonna start now.
0: Yeah, exactly. I, I <laughs> swear I'm not hallucinating this. <laughs> so the Pluto return. One last thing with that, uh, not the Pluto return, but just the station that's important is once it stations at 27, then we are in full gear build up to the next Aquarius ingress of Pluto going into Aquarius, which will take place on January 20th of 2024 and um you know one of the things that's been really fascinating for me that over the past few months it seems like discussion about artificial intelligence has kind of dropped off once pluto retrograded out of aquarius um, and went back into Capricorn versus like just the furor of discussion earlier this year, especially in the like March, April timeframe when Pluto went into Aquarius and stayed there for a few months. So that's one of the things I'm kind of expecting to come back very strongly when Pluto goes back into Aquarius early next year. And this month there's some sort of pivot where Pluto makes that station, there's an intensification, and then it's going to start heading in that direction. So I was kind of anticipating some developments with that. And Nicholas, I know you saw some stuff that might be relevant in terms of that.
1: Yeah, I it was it was interesting when it came up because when I started the research, it was connected to something earlier in the spring, but Yeah, it it was a report that I saw. It was at a conference like last week of an AI conference. So the, the big companies are there. So CEOs and CEO of Google was there, but some of the things that came out of the conference was the, uh, a project that Google has been working on with DeepMind. So they got together and uh, DeepMind is kind of, is uh, an AI that was also built originally to, to become the master of the game called Go. I don't know mm-hmm. if you know to, mm-hmm. to yeah. So anyway, it's based out of that, but they've combined forces, and I didn't even recognize this in May, but they announced the new their version of the future of AI from the Google perspective, and it's called Gemini. It's, it's not a joke. It's, it's called Gemini, and right. they basically started to last week release the API kits for developer to use the the parts of Gemini they're only willing to reveal. But the type of system that they're building is not just words, it's with imagery and text, anything that's pretty much ones and zeros that are going into this formula that they've been building that is to compete with with ChatGPT. And and because of that, even last week, uh, even Elon had to say something about it, like on a tweet, but basically they're revealing more and more And I don't know who they got over there. Who was the person to name it Gemini? But when it first was introduced, it was actually during Mercury-Taurus retrograde to happen in the spring. And then, you know, kind of coming out now here during the tail end of another retrograde. But
0: uh, Yeah, I was seeing that it was um, May 10th is when it was announced. But then I think a news article you sent me was saying that they started it in like March or April, which is around when Pluto went into... Yep into Aquarius where I guess the head of Google like reassigned some people specifically that they needed to focus on AI and they needed to bump up their efforts and they needed to merge some of their internal groups. So anyways, the point is, is now they've gotten to a point where they're starting to share private versions of it with some company, but they're getting ready for some big rollout of this new AI thing here in the near future. And you know, because that's one of the biggest tech companies in the world, Google, it could have major implications depending on what it looks like, especially early next year as we get more firmly into Pluto and Aquarius.
1: Yeah. You uh, know, one thing on a simple level, it, it, what's, you've there's been kind of a downturn in the use of AI. You've been seeing this and it's not working like the way they thought it should at the beginning. And they need people to use this to feed it information so it learns. It's basic stuff with AI learning, right? But it costs money. It, it takes a huge amount of computing power, server farms to do stuff like this. And that's hence why you see certain places they're charging. You get certain credits to use that because they need to pay for that. But Google has, besides Amazon, they're like the server farm. They're, they're, they have the network already to do the computing. So from a power perspective for who comes out on top, who wins the race with AI, you know, it, they might have not been there from the beginning. They seem to be scrambling to catch up to chat GPT, but really in the end, they have the infrastructure, like scary yeah. infrastructure to do it, you know, and, and here at the beginning of this Pluto and Aquarius Ingress, what can happen? What comes from that? Uh, yeah. They, so,
0: yeah, well, this month will be the buildup to that. So it'll be interesting. Let's pay attention to that in the news. And um, that gets us more firmly into that really heavy stuff that starts happening this month where... Um, by the 11th and 12th, Mars departs from Libra and it ingresses into Scorpio where it's going to spend a while in one of its home signs and immediately forms a a somewhat constructive and nice trine with Saturn at zero degrees to Pisces right away there on the 12th and 13th. Um, But then immediately after that, we get our first lunation of the month and our first eclipse, which is this solar eclipse that takes place in the sign of Libra at 2021 Libra on the 14th of October. And one of the most striking things about this eclipse is that as soon as the moon conjoins the sun at 21 degrees of Libra, its next aspect that it makes is it applies to a square with Pluto. So this This Libra eclipse is very much tinged by that Pluto energy. is one of the primary things that's kind of like informing us what that's all about. So yeah, I mean, it's
2: it's it's you know it's striking that same the the surface of that same decan, right? Like this complex balancing act. Not only had the the Mars the Mars K two and the Mars Pluto square, but now is also having a full on solar eclipse, Um, and so. Yeah, you know, the again with the eclipses on the south node side, it's almost always about something disappearing or let it, there was something not being there that you expected to be there. That's usually there. Um, it's more about a, southern, a sudden absence, um, on a volitional side, it's much more about the act of um, letting go of something, um, that. You know uh that can't be saved or it's just not worth the effort um or you know yeah something that something uh, that's you, en-
0: reached the end of its life cycle
2: yeah and that you're you know you're yeah you're wasting your time and energy um by by you know holding on like uh, you know i always i like to think of the notes in terms of holding on and letting go and you know when you think of them that way you only have two hands right and so if you want to hold on to something with both hands you can only do that with one thing, right? Like if you're trying to hold on to two things at once. And you know, it's like if you need to if you need both hands to um to retain something or to make progress, then you gotta let go of something. Right.
0: Yeah. And that's one of the major things that happens sometimes that you'll see with eclipses is just endings and the end of a major chapter in a person's life. Especially depending on what house it's falling in, it may represent that you've come to the end of the end of the line when it comes to some relationship in that house in your chart with a with a person that represents that house, or with um, an area of your life that maybe you've run towards the end of that chapter and it's start it's time to like let go as you're saying or wind something down. But then you know there's that old cliche that every Ending is like a new beginning. And that's nowhere is that more true than with eclipses, where while they can be endings of things, it's also a new beginning and it's like a fresh start sometimes in whatever area of your life that it's falling.
2: Yeah. And I would add that when you let go of things, like when you stop trying to control things, they don't disappear. Right. And that sometimes by letting go, you let things reassume a more like naturally balanced harmonious state. You're not trying to make them a particular way. Um, And you might be trying to make them, or you might be trying to force a situation that requires a lot of energy to maintain. Whereas maybe it wouldn't be so bad if you let go and just let, let, let the chips fall, let the cards fall where they may. Um, and that's that's uh, that requires nothing from you because you're not you're no longer responsible, you're no longer holding yourself for um, holding yourself responsible for things being exactly a certain way in that area. And so it can be a relief, but it's often there's a confronting a fear of, oh my God, what if I let go?
0: Yeah, and, or what if what if I stop putting energy into yeah. this thing to constantly maintain it, will this thing, survive on its own if i'm not doing that or or will it naturally die or stop working if i'm not there constantly feeding energy into it
2: yeah or will it uh, will it take the shape of my fears is usually the the emotional concern hmm.
1: i think right. i think sometimes a lot of times in my practice with clients with dealing with pluto and certain positions, it has to sometimes the letting go is really hard because of what has to be let go of was what a was a benefit earlier and mm-hmm. the and the story, right. It's almost life. It got them through. It, it got survival right it, it did things. and I think that's the hardest thing to let go of. Is, yeah. is that type of the situation where you worked for you in the past? It's, it's habitual. It's ingrained in you. How can you know, Let it go. I'm not going to let this go. This is what it did for me in the past.
0: And sometimes you're still in that mindset of thinking about all the good times from the beginning of that, even if like the current stuff of it is not not what it was at the beginning. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I, I think in a Plutonian way, hey, it's it's that really that needs to be let go of let's say if we were to talk and relate when it comes to like what we talked about earlier, like with Austin talking about power and a silent power and all that or coming into one's own power or situation is you, that ultimate last step of, of like letting go of what really has been of worth. I mean, that's the ultimate, you know, and that, that could be hard for people in certain situations, especially at these degrees of what we have. And then to also put it in your brain, if you're in this situation, that what Austin's saying in the sense of completely letting go, relinquishing here, that it's not going away. And we also know that's going away because there's other clips hitting the same notes here next year. You know, we're six months cycles. Yeah, th- we could this go- is the beginning right. of
2: a year and a half process, yeah. but it's it's yeah. a pretty, uh, I should say, it's a hard to miss announcement of that. Uh, I yeah. wanted to add one more sort of uh, thought to the the letting go and why it can be hard and our, our wobbling around that. You know, this is where a lot of sunk cost fallacy stuff comes in, where it's like, well, I put so much into keeping it this way, and that makes us um, that makes us feel like it's beneficial to keep to keep playing, even though it's uh, even though it's losing at this point. And then I would just add that sometimes letting go looks like stepping back in an area. Right. Like when we, when somebody like is no longer playing an active role, like in a professional situation, they step back from their role as blah, 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 blah. And that's very much a South Node thing as well. Yeah, you catch sure. that. You catch
1: this too a lot, especially um, on Instagram and TikTok lately. When it becomes like a, people were talking about relationship experts, you know, a lot of what I've seen lately is this. You know, if you find yourself, because you, because you invested this amount of time and this amount of stuff in the relationship, that you have to somehow keep it going, even with a breakup or something else, that has to do something. And how what the byproduct of that is, and it gets to the point here that Austin's brought up. You know, it, it, it's it's you just got to step step out step away you know um no matter what you at times the yeah, like what you're feeling or what that time and energy that you put in or what the story you thought it was going to be you know
0: so well and i sun, would also say some cost fallacy makes me think of is what you guys are describing a little bit mm-hmm. oh yeah i literally said that you yeah. did say that okay um, say that. <laughs> no.
2: go ahead then. <laughs> oh i was just going to say you know the um um yeah, that that fear around like oh, what if I what if I you know um, what if I take my my hands off the wheel? There's the like the fear of what it will be if I'm not making it be exactly this. And a lot of times we're surprised if we like, especially when it's like you know the when it's time to let go of something, a lot of times it doesn't go away. Or like in a relationship, this is a, a, a an eclipse in Libra, You're like, oh, but if I stop doing this and this, then it won't be like you said, uh, Nick, the, this won't be the story I hoped for, I thought I was doing. Like sometimes when you let things go, they just take a more natural shape and it's actually great. Um, yeah. And you don't have to put a bunch of time and energy into making it be that, because that's its natural shape.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, I like the keyword you used earlier, Nick, which is Nicholas, which is coming into your power. And I because I think I could see that as something that some people experience this eclipse as, even though it does have for some and for many, those letting go themes, but also as an eclipse and as part of a new series. For some people, it's going to be opening up this window of new opportunities that are going to be developing over the next year as we continue to get eclipses bouncing back and forth between Aries and Libra. Um, But that's one of the positive sides sometimes that you get with Pluto when it does have positive manifestations and is closely activated like it is with this eclipse is um, suddenly discovering your power, discovering ways in which you are powerful in good ways, or in which you have assets at your disposal that you didn't realize you had, and that it's only through... Like exercising a little bit of um, control or a little bit of effort that you can like maximize the potential that you have in ways that you didn't realize were possible. And I think if I was to give this eclipse like the best possible interpretation with that square with Pluto as well as Mars, having just gone into Scorpio and trining Saturn, um I think that would be it, like coming into your power.
1: I, 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 yeah, let, let's, I'm glad you brought up the Mars and, and Scorpio thing. And just, I just like to do a virtual applause because I like any planet that goes into Scorpio personally, because I feel like they just don't get enough credit. Scorpios just don't get enough credit in a certain way. And I love Mars. We all love Mars going into Scorpio. So, if, and, and, and and with Saturn, you know, you have like, you have the courage, the type of courage that, that Mars and Scorpio has, and that is unrelenting. To the end, over the edge, Mm. even with Saturn. Yeah, you can. There's the courage is crystallized, you know, and that's a real, you know, great aspect. I, I, I love it. I love anything, Scorpio, personally, but. But I'm glad you brought that up. I didn't want to forget about that one. So
0: yeah, so that's good. Like a like key word: courage, um, staying power. Like Mars and Scorpio is a fixed sign, so it has that mm-hmm. determination as well as that desire to get to the bottom of things. Like so many Scorpio traits, just have to do or extensions of that um, tendency or that motion of wanting to get to the bottom or get to the center of something, um, and to be determined and fixed about it. Um, so those are good ones. And then with the trine with Saturn at the same time and having the fortitude to like stick with something, I think those are all really great keywords for this.
2: Yeah. Drive with Saturn and Scorpio having yeah. like a consistent underlying unrelenting drive.
0: Mm-hmm. For sure.
2: I mean, Mars, you know, when, when it moves in on the 12th, Mars kind of becomes our, healthiest planet in the sky at least on its own terms like everybody else is kind of having a difficult time or at best a mediocre time and is you know caught up in the wobble like mars is not wobbling while everybody else is caught in the wobble mars is um uh, pursuing the mars agenda relentlessly and it's important to note that um Although it doesn't happen until late next month, late in November, um, it is in Scorpio that Mars will make its every two years conjunction with the sun, which is a reset. um, uh, You know, it's a point of emphasis and a reset in the Mars cycle. So this Mars and Scorpio energy and the Mars and Scorpio themes that will begin developing halfway through October. Uh, are going to be um are going to be part of uh are going to be part of the Marshall current for a good year afterwards
0: hmm. that's
1: yep. a good point yeah and it, we remember too that that Mars and Scorpio is fueling the North node right it's mm-hmm. fueling that part of the nodal thing and and I know I know because Aussie, you brought up is one of my things transits I'm really excited for is the Kazemi moment next year in November i saw it a year ago i was like i can't wait till that you know that's me but but inherently though this too and even to the 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 clips that we're going to talk about at the end of this month is is part of this too so
0: yeah for sure are there any other We could generate any more like mars and scorpio keywords just to give people a little taste of that um i think of like precision strikes when i think of like mars and scorpio because it's like hitting the bullseye with something precisely, but waiting until the exact right minute to do that and not a minute earlier and not a minute later, and then just doing it once. It's hitting the vital
2: point. Um, A lot of the dynamics of hunters, both human and otherwise, you see... Like If you watch an animal hunt, they they fail most of the time, but there's like incredible amounts of patience and stealth and focus. And then there's the one moment of action when the, you know, when the, the, the leopard um, springs from cover, when the ambush happens. Um, and that's the the critical moment. It has to be as precise as you were saying, Chris, as precisely timed and directed as possible. Right. And in terms of combat, right, the the hitting, not just projecting force in the direction of the opponent, but um focusing the force into the uh into the area will have the most impact possible. Right. Yeah, could I mean the
1: ability to see where the soft spot or the weakness is and the predator and then to bring everything
2: to bear on that yeah. one spot.
1: I'm 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 gonna use this word and just as a clue, like, because of what this means to some people, but in, from the animal perspective of the silent predator, you know, there's the predator vibe to this. It's just how it's used, but from an animalist perspective, the the silent waiting, waiting, like you said, Austin, is if you know anybody, well. I was going to say, if you know anybody has got Mars and Scorpio, and I'm laughing to myself right now because we brought up a chart. <laughs>
0: right. I was just thinking of that. T- Taylor's chart.
1: <laughs> Taylor's chart, uh, who who has Mars and Scorpio, you know, so you could see it in her eyes. You look at I mean, her, she she's like, she's
0: dialed. That's really funny. She's maybe, doing. Maybe somebody in the chat who big Taylor fans can enlighten us more about what her Mars and Scorpio is like. But I think of two things. I think of, one um mars and scorpion we talked about like staying power and like um early in her career one of the biggest things that i remember was like when she won her first mtv award but then like kanye got up Mm. on the stage and like embarrassed her and said like beyonce had the best song of all time and should have won the video and stuff and it was this weird moment between her and then him and they had subsequent exchanges where he continued to be weird and sketchy but she's the one that's had like the staying power, and now is kind of like on top of the world. Whereas he's, in some ways, like fallen off in different ways. Certainly socially over the past like year or two, um, and also wasn't there a period where a lot of people were like calling her a snake or something like that? Like I think it was like Kanye and Kim Kardashian were calling her a snake on social media, but then she ended up. Turning it around and like adopting that in some sort of constructive manner, if I remember correctly. I don't know, people can correct me if I'm wrong, but that's a, also a good, um, like this the snake metaphor in both a constructive as well as a negative sense. As a Mars and Scorpio,
1: she didn't forget that moment. let just put it towel, way. you know Ooh, what I mean? Right. She didn't forget, like, well, that, and that's a good point. An...
0: Scorpios don't forget, like, that's one of the key words for that. Yeah. And there's a, um, there's a
2: brooding quality to Mars and Scorpio, right? Which is the, um, you know, it, like you said, not forgotten. Like things just kind of experiences, um, they just keep brewing, right? Mm. And maybe that turns into a medicine of some sort, sort at some point. Maybe it becomes a more lethal poison. But there's this like bru- literally like brewing something up, like brewing, brooding energy. Um, you also see that with Kurt Cobain. Right, who was the Mars and Scorpio, um, and that's that's one thing to note is that you know the uh, the the Mars the, the Mars and Scorpio is is a high octane Mars, and that um, it's very easy for uh, for Mars to back up into the system. Um, you know, people, um, you can be angry at yourself. A lot of people are. I've 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 been I have directed my anger or frustration towards myself many times i know that i'm not alone in this that same intensity um of uh with mars and scorpio can be um can easily be turned against oneself as well as the the external world um and if you're not like a super marsy person um <clears throat> you know being mindful of this very this uh very uh, uh very uh you know very intense uh M- mars and scorpio cocktail and like don't beat yourself up don't beat up other people right but also don't beat yourself up because it's very it's very intense it doesn't like to be stopped it doesn't like to be uh doesn't like things to fall beneath the standard right any planet's own sign has high standards according to that that planet's idea of things right mars and scorpio wants to be um tremendously like uh, you know flawlessly effective powerful silent but deadly right like the um parts of legend
1: yeah yeah Uh, i i remember here i because those who are mars and scorpios they're watching they're no i definitely how you remediate yourself to like what austin's saying things get built up they don't go your way how you be the self-destructiveness i've seen it i just people that i know you know Mm -hmm. what they'll do you know as in what they choose to do to for their outlet for mars remediating wise but everyone i've known that has had this it, when i think that they're when they're balanced and using that within themselves they've had have had to had outlets outlets to do it you know mm-hmm. they, they had to be in their body and sweat or they had to, to get to wield the axe and cut the wood or you know so something where it's got to come out focused you know with the project or whatever but i i especially you know um yeah. Anyway, just uh...
0: you mentioned Kurt Cobain, um, Austin, who mm. had was born with Virgo rising and Mars and Scorpio in the third house. And um, his time twin that was born around the same time period was Billy Corgan, the lead mm. singer of the Smashing Pumpkins, who also had Virgo rising, Mars and Scorpio in the third house. And I always think of both of them and their intensity, but also sometimes even vocally without in the third house, like screaming, like on some songs. Um, as an expression of that. And interesting, weird news story, but Billy Corgan actually just got married um, because he was born in 67, which was one of those Venus retrograde and Virgo Leo years. And this retrograde has always been super important to him. Releasing the first Smashing Pumpkins album in 1999, the original band breaking up in 1999. Next time it went retrograde, reunions in 2007 and 2015. And then he just did a major tour this summer. And then got married and so this venus retrograde again it's just a little venus retrograde story but made me think of that yeah
2: that's good when they both had a quality of rawness right right and like mars and scorpio is pretty raw you won't see it all the time but when you do see it like it's pretty raw like it's pretty primordial hmm. well travis
0: is gonna see it oh see oh. the football oh, player. Kelsey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean if he well, has not already i mean he's got venus there in scorpio so yeah he's he li- ready he like that's his thing. That could be his jam. He'd totally so, be the thing. just just, we'll see. just to see, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, good times. All right. So that is that first eclipse that's taking place um this month in Libra. And that's a big one, major beginnings, major endings, major period of letting things go. Then after that, we move forward. And one of the things that's weird that happens not long after that is there's this um sun Mercury conjunction that occurs uh, here. Around October 20th, and it's actually squaring Pluto almost perfectly. So, to, from 27 Libra, the Sun conjoins Mercury, or Mercury conjoins the Sun and squares Pluto. So, there's more like themes this time with Sun Pluto and Mercury Pluto. And we've seen some major things involving news stories like major investigations, um, major exposes, or, or, um, what was the other term for that? We saw like a year or two ago with a major Mercury Pluto uh, thing, which was like all of those things coming out a disclosure. So major disclosures mm-hmm. happening under Mercury Pluto stuff. Um, so that's a date I would pay attention to for for that. With again just echoing more and more Pluto themes. Yeah, and this
2: is yeah this is our kind of third set of. Um, our, our third thing that happens uh, in this same territory, right? And so these are probably, um for a lot of, uh, for a lot of stories, um, in the news and otherwise, these these are probably going to be three different um sort of moments in a story, right? We have the, like the Mars um, wobbling scales, and we have the the solar eclipse there. And then, hopefully, um, there's some clarity or some truth, or like you were saying, Chris, like some details emerge um, mm-hmm. as to perhaps not what was on the scales, but what was what was the ground that the scales were uh, that were resting on, right? Which, if the ground is uneven, then it throws off the whole deal. There's definitely like, 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 like you said, like there's disclosure. There's like, but this like kind of big deep state energy. Where they and I don't not necessarily including but not limited to government stuff, where it's like, oh, like there's a layer underneath the visible layer, and that's where things are coming from, whether it's corporations or smaller organizations or, or whatever, but like that's that's the kind of vibe like what what is it that the scales were resting on rather
0: than like what was on the scales for sure. <clears throat> Well, one of the positive things is not long after this, we get one of the best aspects of the month. One of the most favorable aspects and auspicious is um, Venus starts moving into the middle decan of Virgo, where it hits this trine with Jupiter uh, from 12 degrees of Virgo to 12 degrees of Taurus on October 22nd. Uh, October 21st, October 22nd. That's probably the best aspect of the month. Um, It's one of the most positive ones where. Venus um, comes up and trines Jupiter with reception because Jupiter's in Venus's sign. Um, and at one point we even get the Moon swooping through uh, just after on like the 20th and stuff and completing a grand Earth trine between the three signs with the Moon going through Capricorn. So um, this is a very earthy Venus-Jupiter trine, so it would be very good for getting things done either in a practical sense with Venus in Virgo or even potentially in like an artistic sense with Jupiter being in the sign of Taurus um while it's not we have different electional charts this month and while we're not using that as one of our primary elections this month in terms of just like having a brief reprieve from all of this otherwise very intense energy that's swirling most of the month with the Pluto stuff, this is one of the more positive alignments that I see as, uh, a sort of nice day amidst all of the intensity what are your you guys as keywords for like venus trans jupiter like, oh uh, it's
2: lovely um up, right up. it's the it's it's the, the the you know jupiter is like the larger slower good and venus is the more acute felt um good and you know um it like you just feel like oh maybe things aren't so bad Right, it's like oh, this was a nice day, and like you know, that's the Venus part. And then with the Jupiter, it's like, and you know what, like things are things have been rough, right, lately. But like, I kind of like what I'm doing with this. Like, it's both a like it's it's generally both a positive reframe and perspective, as well as a moment that um, that justifies itself, right? That's pleasant in and of itself.
0: Yeah, it's like having a spa day in the middle of an otherwise very intense month at work.
1: Yeah, yeah, with like clay masks and you know certain things with the body and skin because we're dealing with earth signs. I mean, this is a good thing to do. Like you know, you're in your in the earth in your body. And the other thing is, we have a Venus Jupiter aspect, and the last aspect Venus had with Jupiter was squares, hmm. and so we have on this journey of Venus, we we have this this groundedness, and and I don't think that the need to go before venus jupiter how one is going to take pleasures doing pleasures over the top right but here we have this this harmonious connection and and we could still have our pleasures and and funnel that into our bodies and to give ourselves uh, uh something you know beautiful something that tastes beautiful sounds beautiful um uh, a walk through the fall garden while it's changing mm-hmm. you know once that's a great grounding point. in the yeah.
2: middle of all this like Yep, you know, uh, uh air air yeah, in the middle of all this rather ungrounded and destabilized stuff, like not only is it both benefics, but it's it's an earth sign, right? I think grounding will be particularly useful during this period.
0: Yeah, and that's a good point about like the summer Venus Jupiter squares were so excessive and like extravagant, but this is a much more measured um, sort of positive transit that's more grounded in, in reality and and much less prone to excess, but instead more like the quiet, um, positive things that come along with like simple pleasures. Yeah,
1: yeah you, picture, you picture you're picture you in the house, uh, there's Venus and Virgo and Jupiter and Taurus and it's comfortable, it's chill, the fire is going, it's good soup on the stove, you know, like, yeah, I made you a bath, you know. But you know, there's, there's a certain kind of is no pressure, you know, no pressure to perform uh, that, that that Venus and Leo has. It's the simple, good things, uh, the, the the little things that make us feel good, you know. And and yeah, I'm thinking right now of like herbs and the tea one would make and pull from their garden, you know, to, to give themselves that that pleasure-ness and or the pleasure of, uh, of being grounded, like like Austin said, you know, through nice do yeah, stew. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, sounds really good, actually, right now. <laughs> yeah, it does. All right, and so... I'm glad you, let's just to say this here, because we're on this timeline, and I know we're long, but it's like we're talking about this, one of the best aspects of the month feeling this. And I know for people watching in the beginning, how intense and like, oh, you know, is this going to be this and that? But right. there's always glimmers of light, you know, the spaces. And as astrologers, we always try to find them for ourselves and our clients. This is definitely one of them.
0: For sure. And speaking of that, I wanted to back up then um, and talk about our auspicious election for this month, which given all of the like craziness swirling around and in intensity, um, I wanted to give two charts and they're both on the first and second day of the month that are two sort of auspicious elections this month that you can use to start new ventures or undertakings using the principles of electional astrology. So the first one is um, taking place on October 1st 2023 and you should set the chart for uh, October 1st 2023 and you should set the chart for approximately about 11:30 in the morning, 11:30 a.m. local time just after the ascendant has moved into Sagittarius and see if you can get the degree of the midheaven in your location. It doesn't matter what degree the ascendant is in Sagittarius. Try to get the midheaven trining Jupiter if you can within a few degrees because this chart has Sag rising with Jupiter in Taurus in the sixth house with a trine to the midheaven and a trine to Mercury in Virgo in the 10th house. And one of the reasons this day is auspicious is because there's a very nice moon Jupiter conjunction taking place in Taurus this day. So part of the purpose of this chart is to take advantage of that conjunction. Um, As long as you can mitigate Jupiter in the sixth house, you should be okay in doing that. Um, the chart's pretty good for 10th house matters with Mercury in Virgo and the 10th whole sign house exalted and in its own domicile. Um, it could also be good for uh, matters or more focused on matters related to health, um, work, subordinates, and things like that, since it has a major emphasis on the 6th house, um, as well as that moon-Jupiter conjunction there. So it would not be a good chart for friends, groups, and alliances, because it has Mars in Libra in the 11th whole sign house, and there could be some potential for separations there, Uh, so don't use it for 11th house activities, but otherwise it's a relatively solid chart that you can use on the very first day of the month to take advantage of that Moon-Jupiter conjunction. Um, Additionally, I have one other chart I wanted to mention um, which takes place the next day uh, with Cancer rising, and that's why I'm giving this as a second variant because it takes place just after midnight at about like 12:30 at night on October 2nd so this is a cancer rising chart so cast the chart for about 11:30 p.m. on October 2nd or 12:30 a.m. on October October 2nd and what you'll end up with is a chart with cancer rising and the moon exalted in Taurus in the 11th whole sign house coming off of a conjunction with Jupiter at 14 degrees of Taurus and then the Moon is applying to a square with Venus, which is then the second house of finances in a night chart. So This chart is actually much better for friends and groups and alliances with the ruler of the Ascendant placed in the 11th houses of, house of friends and groups with Jupiter, and then the ruler of the 11th house is in the second house, and that's Venus in a night chart in Leo in the second house of finances, which should be very good for financial matters. Um, and this chart actually ties together friends and groups and alliances and financial matters in a positive way. So it'd be a good chart for that if there's something that you want to start or do that really focuses on those topics or those areas of life. Um, The main thing this chart would not be good for is Saturn is in the ninth house in a night chart, which is not good for ninth house activities like foreign travel, education, things having to do with philosophy or religion, Or even in some circumstances, things like publishing might not be useful with Saturn in the ninth house. But otherwise, those are our two auspicious election, electional charts for this month that Lisa Scheim and I found. And we actually just recorded our auspicious elections podcast for the month, where we found 10 other charts that we outlined. For different parts of October that you can use for starting new ventures and undertakings. So people can get access to that by becoming a patron through our page on Patreon at patreon.com slash astrology podcast, and then you get access immediately to that latest, I think it's like an hour and 15 minute episode where we go through all the most auspicious dates that you can use this month. Um, And I actually just released um, an episode, a recording of the Auspicious Elections podcast we did for September on my YouTube channel. So if you haven't seen that before, you can watch that episode for September and you'll see how those episodes usually go and, and how it's actually very useful to get those charts ahead of time each month so you know what the good dates are to use or what the difficult dates are to avoid. All right. So I wanted to say that really quickly, since that brings us back to the beginning of the month. But now at this point, we need to jump forward to the later part of the month and talk about our second lunation of the month, which is that eclipse that takes place in the sign of Taurus. All right, so let me move. And this
2: is this is our very last eclipse in Taurus. We've, yes. been, uh,
0: we've been doing eclipses in Taurus for about two years now. We are finally finishing up the Scorpio Taurus eclipse series. And just to remind people, like some of these eclipses have been kind of crazy. Like the one a year ago in Scorpio and Taurus was super crazy because that was the one, if you remember, where like right on the Scorpio eclipse is when Elon Musk bought and took over Twitter. Um, and some of the, the, the social media fiasco surrounding that that Scorpio eclipse was also when Kanye West did all that crazy like anti-Semitic stuff, and then all of a sudden went from being a billionaire to being dropped by Adidas and like losing out on this this huge deal overnight. There's just a lot of shifts where people were going either upwards or downwards like very rapidly at that time, and that's part of some of the energy that we're moving into here with eclipse season again. Yeah, and I would also point out that the the
2: the this time period that has had the North Node in Taurus is also massively inflated food prices in the United States. Hmm. We've uh, you know a lot of the the fallout from um, or sort of follow-on effects from the Russo-Ukrainian War um, is a lot of lot, it distorted food prices in a lot of places, including the grocery store. You know, we talked
0: about uh, lunch getting eclipsed many times. Yeah, yeah. food prices yeah. and also like Bitcoin. Like we, every, We've every had some major yeah. eclipses, like FTX happened last November right on the Taurus eclipse, I believe, wasn't it? It was like the Taurus yeah. eclipse. And then all of a sudden, FTX just implodes. And that was just a huge fiasco with Bitcoin. But then the one before that, I think, was when the Luna coin um, mm-hmm. tanked and failed, mm-hmm. There were other eclipses um, as well, but that's something we'll be paying attention to. Is both if the eclipses are again tied into Bitcoin and big shifts upwards or downwards, but also just in terms of the economy, if there's some big shifts upwards or downwards at the same time.
2: Yeah, I mean, money and food has been uh, was was a very uh, money and food always changed when we got a, a, an eclipse in Taurus, and of course that was the eclipse. Uh, those all of those eclipses were adding to what Uranus had been doing there. And so one thing to note, right, is just to call back to the beginning, we're talking about um, the uh, um, historically significant rise in union activity and some of these big strikes. And we're like, oh, that's Jupiter in Taurus. It's time to Jupiter in Taurus. It looks like Jupiter in Taurus. And so this is an eclipse on top of that while Mars is opposite that. Right? so that's a lot of heat um in um you know as far as the union activity and pushback against that that unfolding story
1: you know i think about late 2021 when we started this eclipse story and these signs and mm-hmm. and for those who have fixed angles in their chart or fixed whatever what you've been through with saturn being in aquarius uranus being in taurus since 2018 you know you cut hit after hit i mean even even this venus and leo retrograde is hitting these degrees especially the midpoint like the midpoint of the degrees, like the second deck and like 14 to 16 17 degrees you know you and, and just there jupiter is there now just stationed retrograde there the reason why i'm saying this is is because here we are at the last one and i for those of you who have Taken the brunt, or have seen these shifts in the Taurus and Scorpio parts of your chart and what you've been through. Congratulations, you've made it. You know, you've made it here to the end. Because especially, I think in fixed signs, when you have certain kinds of uh, tension moments, and things are coming and going quickly. It's obviously different from a cardinal sign or in the mutable places. There's something mm-hmm. about the fixed placements that the type of tension that's involved that's very unique. And so it's a shout out to everybody who's been affected by this. You just have to you just have this one. You're just sweeping it sweep it away here.
0: Yeah. <laughs> fixed fix signs, fixed signs do not do change well as a fixed yep. sign, as somebody that had to like be um uh, on quick on my feet today due to technical issues to set up a different thing like we do change very very reluctantly and that can be really difficult where you're dealing with placements that are inherently about change as eclipses are with their major beginnings and major endings yeah
1: i got fixed yeah. angles i it, i know it you know so you know and i've had a lot of people to talk to so just to bring it back to where we are with this eclipses sure no that's is... a
2: great point uh so uh, sorry you want to finish? No, go
1: ahead austin go ahead
2: Okay, I was just going to say, Chris, do you remember during when we were doing the yearly and we, with Saturn's movement into Pisces, we really wanted to announce reprieve for the fixed signs. Right. But then we're like, oh, but then there's oh, yeah. the, the whole Venus retrograde over the summer. And, and even though the nodes move, oh, there's another eclipse in Taurus. And we're like, so by the end of the year, there's reprieve?
0: Right. We <laughs> were
2: like, hoping to be able to, uh, you know, uh, uh, announce a reduced
0: sentence for the uh, fixed signs, uh,
2: you know, in March. But uh, yeah,
0: I mean, it has been nice getting Saturn out of Aquarius. And that's actually one thing that's interesting is we don't get there this month, but Saturn stations at zero degrees of Pisces next month in November. And I haven't done the Saturn in Aquarius, like Saturn return story. And I know a lot of people are kind of annoyed by that because they want to send in stories. But part of the reason is that Saturn's coming back so close to the end of Aquarius that I know there's some people that have Saturn and late Aquarius that are actually probably just going to be finishing up their Saturn return stories right now over the end of this year. Um, but I was saying that because it has been nice at least having Saturn out of Aquarius, even if the fixed signs aren't like completely on vacation at this point.
2: Yeah. Well, and you'll get Pluto and Aquarius for 20 years, but- Right, exactly. Who needs, yeah. Who needs to mention that, right? We don't need to talk about that. <laughs> I mean. That's, no, that's for that's for that's months away. Had to say we've that. been getting teased
1: through like teased for almost two a year and a half, two years with this one. It's going to happen. So right,
0: but all right. Uh, so let's go back to our eclipse because we need to stri- describe a couple of things about the specific configurations involved a little bit more. One of which is it's like look at this chart. So the moon hits the eclipse at five degrees of Taurus on October twenty eighth, right at the end of the month. Right at the same time, Mercury is forming a conjunction with Mars. So we have this like verbally combative or sparring um, energy of Mercury and Mars coming together at 10 and 11 degrees of Scorpio. And at the same exact time, Mars completes an opposition with Jupiter. So Mars opposes Jupiter from 11 degrees of Scorpio to 11 degrees of Taurus. So there's like a whole lot of just aside from the eclipses, the eclipse itself and how this is the end of a long series and a culmination of things between Taurus and Scorpio, there's a huge amount of tension going on between those two signs at the same time.
2: Yeah, it's um, it's pretty gnarly.
0: Yeah. So So Mercury, Mars, of course, let's do some keywords for that. That's like verbal sparring. That's like arguments. That's like curse words like using you know bad language um what are some other like mercury mars keywords um thievery um destroyed
2: yeah. destroyed roads um corrupted uh corrupted networks uh cut telephone wires um yeah bandits lurking at the crossroads <laughs> um you know not silver tongue but steel steely tongued uh insults um right. and, yeah all, all right what self. are some what are some positive keywords it would be like <laughs> i thought that steely tongued insults was, a, was a that's, good that's, I no, mean, it, it can't be positive is, i mean yeah.
1: it's, we think about the well fierceness of scorpio mixed with the the tongue and with the, the cuttingness i mean hey we sometimes you need someone to speak that truth to you for sure you know especially we've had a bunch of libra shenanigans of like moving around the point of things and, and not getting straight to it in a Mars based way. Like Mars is going to get straight to the point a lot of times, but going can do it in Scorpio. It's going to go
0: right to the heart of it. And actually that is one way of showing affection and love for some people. Right. It's like that it, friend that tells you your outfit looks dumb. And at first you're like hurt, but then later you're like, no, you're right. My outfit does look dumb.
1: Yeah. And it, it actually, and then it's like, it hurts to possibly hear that it's the cutting, like it's the dagger. But if it's a friend, later on, say, "Hey, thank you for telling me that because I was walking around this whole time, you know, with my zipper open, you know, that kind of stuff. Those those things, I was this was hanging from here. I didn't know, you know. So that I think that's positive actually to have a certain type of truth. That's the engine behind it is Mars in this case, but Jupiter there too. We can't separate that. But been- yeah,
0: that's a good point. That there's sometimes there's the need for that loud person that's like outspoken, that's willing to be the one to speak up to say." What everyone else is thinking but nobody else is willing to put their neck on the line to say
1: yeah and it's, they're gonna so, do yeah, it so
0: it's so rare to find someone on the internet
2: who's willing to be rude <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah well yeah. in this case but, but but a hero will arise during the mercury mars construction <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah well it's the other part of it is
2: life is just public. too polite these days yeah it's not public too
1: like it's it's the person who pulls you in the side in closed behind closed doors you know and whispers a year the the brutalist or the most cutting you know words the truth you know and 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 be it's just between you and i because i don't want you to lose face you know like rabbit's conversations like in secret i'm gonna tell you the truth you know
2: Hmm. so so
0: yeah so quiet communicative savagery (laughs) yeah yeah and So verbal arguments is one of the potential for that period that could be destructive or that could be potentially constructive, but they might be like arguments that happen one day on that day, especially around that day that end up actually having a much bigger, much greater import than you realize or than you think that they should initially. Like Sometimes we we all have those arguments that just seem like a stupid blow off argument, but then it turns into a much larger rift between two people. Um, yeah and, cr- and that's the eclipse energy coming in at the same time
2: yeah chris i was just going to say um you know to your point don't get into it unless you want to get into it and go all the way through it with this one this is not like right this is not like a, a time for casual criticism
0: yeah for sure for like saying that thing in in a moment of, you know, not having restriction or reservations about something, but then it being the cutting thing that causes a permanent, you know, loss of a relationship or something. Yeah. Yeah. Or requires I... like um six more
2: conversations to actually get to the end of. Right. For sure.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I, uh, one more thing to this, like to, to go off what we're saying, I also think too, we can't forget about how, I think sometimes how Mercury and Scorpio functions too, from the more probing investigative quality of getting to the heart to finding the secret mm-hmm. the mystery or, or cracking the code you know and, and you know that there's part of that too here uh, just the function is just magnified by Mars you know
0: for sure like Mercury and you know? Scorpio loves a good mystery and can get sucked into that like once you give them a good mystery like they will focus on that entirely until it's all worked out and there can be like a good side to that where there's like the intrepid reporter who's like on a story for years getting to the bottom of it before eventually revealing everything but then the flip side of that can be sometimes if it if it malfunctions there can be the person that becomes obsessed about something like a a notion that's like not true but they get so sucked into it and thinking connecting different dots that maybe don't connect at all so that it becomes something that <clears throat> they are sort of like addicted to or or can't break themselves out of yeah, it's very it's very noir,
2: um, like web of lies, um, gumshoe territory. Uh, I I also I was just remembering one of the things that Fermicus bangs on about repeatedly with Mercury Mars, and it's like Mercury Mars, um, angular, and especially in a day chart, is just like. Basically, uh, translating from the uh, ancient Latin, endless bullshit without any particular cause, like Mercury Mars, it's just like a lot of little problems, a -hmm. lot of like little things that need solving. is is a very common, it uh, it is a very,
0: uh, yeah, it's a very common Mercury Mars thing where there's just like a ton of little stuff to solve. Yeah, for sure. So that's happening. That conjunction is happening at the same time as the eclipse, but then at the same time we also have a Mars. Uh, Jupiter opposition and some of the basic tension between that of like literally like the planet of war versus the planet of peace and the tensions sometimes between war and peace or between you know do you use what what is that saying like do you use the sword or do you use the what's the opposite of the sword like a wreath yeah. or like flowers or something? Lata or plumo. Plumo okay
2: oh uh, okay. silver or lead. Right. Will you be rewarded for doing what I want or will you be reeled with bullets for not doing what I want?
0: Yeah. And sometimes there's like, there's instances sometimes where one is appropriate or the other is more appropriate. And sometimes people get caught in those situations where they're not sure whether to be aggressive or whether they're supposed to be like aggressively kind or something like that. And it's not clear. What's called for, and it seems like um, with this configuration, especially people are going to be stuck being pulled in those two different directions and not being immediately clear like what is the correct, correct direction to go. Yeah, especially with the uh, with the with the eclipse, right? With the um,
2: the the eclipse near the head of the dragon, like the eclipse, you know, which is the lunar eclipse, is always a full moon. It's always you know high tide um uh uh, emotionally lunar energetically like things are um you know things are very energized and um people don't uh, people are not in their most reflective state and to have that and eclipse it's a hard thing it's going to be a hard thing to balance at the time right there may be um uh it it may be clear, sort of how to navigate that afterwards or maybe even before um but it will definitely be easy for people to lose their heads and act in an imbalanced uh manner in a way people will regret during this there's just like like it's a lot um and i think expecting it to be a lot and trying to keep your cool through it will probably give good results it's definitely not something to go with the flow because the flow is crazy no
1: and it's it's and it's to go back to how I started talking earlier, like this is the last one for you, like Taurus Scorpio people. If you're going out with a bang, like it's not, you know, some calm whatever thing. It's 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 uh very, you know, fierce, and um you'll be all right. Be okay.
0: Yeah, I have some be optimism right. that once the moon completes the opposition with the sun, so it hits the exact eclipse degree. Its next aspect actually is is it conjoins Jupiter uh, before it hits Mercury and Mars. So it does hit Mercury and Mars immediately after that, almost simultaneously, but it is interesting, at least symbolically, that its next aspect is to Jupiter. And I have some hope for the more optimistic or peace-oriented side of things sort of winning out, even if the threat of like conflict and argument and, and sort of division is like very present.
2: Yeah, there's like a way through. It just will probably get confusing for at least a little bit.
1: Yeah, sure. I think you have to, like Austin said, and if we look at the rulers of this, like who's involved as Mars, you know, Mars-Venus, which it has been a Mars-Venus story with these eclipses and 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 same with Libra Aries. It's a Mars-Venus story. And here, you know, if we look to where Venus is, it's, it's waxing, it's applying to, uh, trying to Uranus here, and that's in the background, that's there, you know, and... and So you know, if we're looking for ways to 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 move and use and utilize, there's something there,
0: for sure. And as you both said, since this is the end of like a year and a half long series of eclipses between Taurus and Scorpio, it should be putting an end to um, a series of events and new developments and beginnings and endings that you're already kind of aware of in that area of your life, um, and bringing some final culmination to it, hopefully rather than it being something that just completely comes out of left field. I mean, certainly that happens sometimes with eclipses, but there was probably like a buildup to this that preceded this, this eclipse this month. Yeah. This is the last installment. Like this completes the arc. Yeah. And people should actually Google did a really great episode on this. If you if you search for eclipses as transits in astrology, you'll find an episode I did a few years ago where we did a workshop going through people's charts and showing how to interpret the house that an eclipse falls and how it opens up this portal for like two years where the topics of those houses become more prominent and active in your life. And then you'll understand better how to interpret these eclipses that are coming up next month. All right. So that brings us to the final days of the month and there's just like one or two minor things to mention. Um, One of them, the Mercury-Mars conjunction actually completes at 12 Scorpio the following day, I believe on the 29th. And then on the very last day of the month on October 31st, we get this nice little Venus-Uranus trine that occurs when Venus hits 21 Virgo and it trines Uranus at 21 Taurus. And this happens like right on a Halloween. And I really like this aspect as a, as a nice way to end the month and potentially have a good like Halloween transit at the end of the month. Um, it reminds me of that saying, that phrase, like, I'm here for a good time, not a long time. I think that's the key word for this this Venus trine trine uh Uranus transit on Halloween. What's your what's your keywords? Yeah. Is that a good, is that your, gonna be you guys' keywords for Halloween? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, the first thing that comes up for me, it's something I mentioned earlier in one way is we ended September with a Venus square Uranus aspect. And we end October with Venus trine Uranus. And I, why can't be why can't we be celebratory, honestly, after this whole month? And and you know, have you ever seen a Venus and Virgo to see like what their version of having a good old time is or a wild time? Like try to picture that because you know, supposedly supposed to be uniformed and go by certain steps or something like that. But here Uranus and Taurus throw some flavor, some spice onto onto Venus here and and I dig this, we accept this. It's a good way, at least in my mind, to end of the month. And you know, uh um I I think there's a secret passionate white light that is in Venus and Virgo. And I think Uranus here shows us, could show us that the the, the ways of pleasure, uh, the wild pleasures that are hidden deep inside Venus and Virgo, that's one way I look at it. So, uh,
0: yeah. I like that. That's good. Uh, Venus and Virgo letting loose finally and trying something new, trying something different and maybe enjoying it.
2: Ordering a different item off of the menu at your favorite restaurant
0: that's despite good. the risks yeah that is risky as a fixed sign i definitely <clears throat> would well, recommend well i, that, I but... happen
2: to know of venus and virgo who for whom that that's a very real risk dinner you know dinner might not be good
1: yeah they're yeah. gonna deviate they're deviate from just the norm from, and, from and what the...
2: is from <laughs> what is like assured to be uh yeah. pleasing and of good quality I will say for uh, for Halloween, um, in addition to the the Venus trine Uranus, um, you know, having lots of uh, things in Scorpio, lots of crazy things in Scorpio, is good for the Halloween energy, for like Scorpio vibes. Like Mars in Scorpio may not always treat people kindly, but it makes watching movies about demons and murder and all of the other fun Halloween things like hit uh, all that, all, all, all the better, like, uh, you know, it's good. It's, it's it's like the, uh, the skies will be behind the, uh, the Halloween viewing schedule, right? You need, you need a menacing villain, right? You need something,
0: you need, you need a dignified malefic, uh, for a good horror story. I like that. The, the awareness of the darker side of life and, The appreciation for that both in its power as well as occasionally in its beauty um as well as in its sometimes intensity or like savagery uh that's a really good sort of imagery i think to wrap things up here for for october
1: yeah i i will say that um for me personally the dark side is always beautiful not it's not occasional like i the dark side is everything uh, seeing the beauty in the dark side, I I is uh, done wonders for my life, and so um people could take that a certain way. But I, I think uh, that's one of the best times of the year, you know. Here and for those who celebrate midpoints of the seasons, we know what this is for. Sawin and for people, whatever else, and what you do with that energy and stuff. It's it's an incredible fun release into the dark side and using it. Your version, your version of the dark side. So
0: right. Yeah. yeah, I, I like that, your version, because everybody has their own version. And yeah, it'll be interesting to check in with any everybody at the end of this month and see how things went, see how everyone did with uh, eclipse season and with all the Pluto energy and what sort of like transformative experiences everybody had. And uh, I think that'll be good. So we'll we'll check in again one month from now and see how re- everything went. Um, thank you both for joining me for this. This is amazing. We tried things different. It went pretty well today. It was great having you on this episode for your first forecast, Nicholas, um, you are otherwise like forecasting away like all the time on your YouTube channel, right? Yes, I
1: am. I I, I have uh, my YouTube journeys coming into two years now. Actually, it started during the beginning of those eclipses that we talked about the end of 2021 uh yeah i do forecasting on there i talk about certain transits like a lot of people do and then i do live streams on there and um i do surprise live streams where i talk about transits i've been adding visuals and i have synthesizers here i'm adding sound and doing mantra meditations um and i also do something once a month called the empower hour and it's a live stream where i put a phone number up on the screen and people call and they give me their chart info and we do it live on air uh so that's a big part of what i do and what i'm trying to build on there my next empower hour is on october 9th i think on a sunday so
0: but, awesome uh, what's your so you people can find our youtube channel it's sparkles of gold astrology right
1: yes sparkles of gold astrology and uh and you can find more about me too it's sparklesofgold.com, my website uh do sessions readings, so on and so forth but um my life has become YouTube and will be YouTube. I started something there and I'm seeing where the wave takes me. So
0: Nice. Well, I love it. Uh, it's been amazing to watch so far and I love tuning into your live streams. are really fun. Um, so I'll put a link to your YouTube channel and your website in the description below this video on YouTube so people can check it out and subscribe to your channel um, as well as on the podcast website for this episode. Um, Austin, what do you have coming up? Okay, so on next
2: Friday, which is October 6th, I'm gonna put um, several workshops that I've done in the past. I'm gonna put the recordings up for sale. I've also got a, a pile of lectures I gave at NORWAC and Astromagia and a couple other events that have just been sitting in a bin in my computer. I'm gonna put that stuff up for people. Um, and then, for course, Fear and Sundry, uh, the, the Thema Mundi, uh, series is finally shipping, like right, like the it's, things are being wrapped and bottled right now, um, and Fear and Century is going to finally release the Saturn Aquarius series in the middle of the month, which I am very looking, very much looking forward to.
0: Nice, awesome, that's exciting.
2: Um, all right, what's yeah, your good. what's your website? Uh, so my website is austincopic.com and Sphere and Century is fearandcentury
0: Brilliant. All right. I'll put a link to those in the description below this video on YouTube. Um, Otherwise, as for myself, I'm feeling good lately. I've been taking some new supplements. I have more energy. So I've been trying a bunch of new things and experimenting with YouTube, experimenting with doing short form clips on the new astrology podcast clips channel, as well as doing some short like vertical videos that are one minutes just to get the highlights of some of the episodes and some of the main things I'm doing here. Uh, I'm also experimenting with doing some live streams at different points and doing some live interaction with the audience, as well as to sort of like fill in on news stories that happen in between the major forecast episodes. So the biggest thing you can do is just subscribe to the YouTube channel, or um, if you want to support this work, if you get a lot out of it, then you can sign up and become a patron through my page on Patreon, and you'll get early access to new episodes, as well as a bunch of other bonus content. So otherwise, I think that's it for this episode. So thanks everyone in our audience who joined us. We had a bunch of patrons joining us today in the live chat. You were all amazing. And some of the comments helped uh, guide the episode in different ways. Um, Thanks, Nicholas, for joining us today to co-host. Thank you, Austin, as always, for your brilliant metaphors. And I think that's it for this forecast. So thanks everyone for watching or listening. And we'll see you again next time. Bye. Hey, special thanks to all the patrons that helped to support the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, shout out to the patrons on our producers tier, including Christy Moe, Ariana Amour, Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Issa Sabah, Jake Otero, Jeannie Marie Kaplan, and Melissa Delano. If you appreciate the work I'm doing here on the podcast and you'd like to find a way to support it, then please consider becoming a patron through our page on patreon.com. In exchange, you can get access to bonus content that's only available to patrons of the podcast, such as early access to new episodes, the ability to attend the live recording of the monthly forecast episodes, our monthly auspicious elections podcast, or another exclusive podcast series called The Casual Astrology Podcast, or you can even get your name listed in the credits at the end of each episode. For more information, visit patreon.com slash If you're looking to get an astrological consultation, we have a new list of astrologers that have been on the podcast before and who we recommend for readings at theastrologypodcast.com consultations. There you'll find astrologers who offer different types of consultations, including birth chart readings, sinistry, rectification, electional astrology, quarry questions, and more. The astrology software that we use and recommend here on the podcast is called Solar Fire for Windows, which is available for the PC at alabe.com. Use the promo code AP15 to get a 15% discount. For Mac users, we recommend a software program called AstroGold for Mac OS, which is from the creators of Solar Fire for PC, and it includes both modern and traditional techniques. You can find out more information at astrogold.io. And you can use the promo code ASTROPODCAST15 to get a 15% discount. If you'd like to learn more about my approach to astrology, then I'd recommend checking out my book titled Hellenistic Astrology, The Study of Fate and Fortune, where I go over the history, philosophy, and techniques of ancient astrology, taking people from beginner up through intermediate and advanced techniques for reading birth charts. You can get a print copy of the book through Amazon or other online retailers, or there's an ebook version available through Google Books. If you're really looking to expand your studies of astrology, then I would recommend my Hellenistic Astrology course, which is an online course on ancient astrology where I take people through basic concepts up through intermediate and advanced techniques for reading birth charts. There's over 100 hours of video lectures as well as guided readings of ancient texts, And by the time you finish the course, you will have a strong foundation in how to read birth charts as well as make predictions. You can find out more information at courses.theastrologyschool.com. And finally, thanks to our sponsors, including The Mountain Astrologer Magazine, which is a quarterly astrology magazine which you can read in print or online at mountainastrologer.com.